Hello everyone, welcome to not another episode of Dungeon Boys, but an episode of Dungeon Boys on the Dungeon Boys podcast. We're going to be doing a little bit of special, um, we're going to be putting a bread tie on the end of this. Explanation Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Explanation Boys. We're going to be tying a bread tie on the end of the plastic bag full of the amorphous loaf of D&D that we've been making over the past, how long has it been? A uh, year? Thereabout, yeah. Sure, I don't, Dungeon Boys, I don't think, has been quite a year, has no, it? No. Well, we have 48 episodes on a weekly basis, so close. Yeah. We've missed a few weeks, so really it probably has been about a year. Yeah, I think we started like the end of summer last year, didn't That's we? That's true, and it's the end of summer now. Crazy talk. Yeah. It's wild. Amorphous loaf. <laughs> yeah. I really like that, yeah. Keith. <laughs> hey, that's our new D&D creature, amorphous <laughs> loaf. <laughs> you smell flour. <laughs> Yeast. <laughs> but not in any combination you would ever yeah. imagine. <laughs> a thud. A, a two-ton thud is heard behind you in the darkness. <laughs> All right, let's get this show started. Uh, my name's Keith, by the way. My name's Bryce. I've been playing your DM. And I've been playing your favorite character, Jack Law. Also, we should explain that there are, we're missing two people on this podcast. We're not missing two people. we got the two most important people. Oh. We just don't have the extras that we'll, have been with us since the beginning. <laughs> we'll let the audience decide on that one. Um, but Josh and Zenus, Josh playing Arlo and Zenus playing uh, Grimm, uh, could not be with us today. We've had some scheduling issues, but we didn't want to go three whole weeks without you getting any information from us, without tying up uh, Dungeon Boys, so... Uh, Bryce is going to be here with me today, and we are going to be, like I said, tidying up this amorphous loaf of D&D, trying to, trying to press it into a nice plastic bag, a nice Wonder Bread bag, so that you can pick it up, just in case you weren't there for the baking process, you can pick it up, take it home to your family, make sandwiches, toast, French toast, um, whatever else you do with your bread. So that's what we're here to do. We're going to do a couple of things. First off... We think it would behoove us, uh, and Bryce, I believe, agrees, that we ought to explain, you know, why why we do D&D. Why have we, A, I think, why do we play it and record it, and then <clears throat> B, why have we stuck with it for a year when, I mean, it hasn't been like a life-changing experience financially or anything like that yeah. for us. <clears throat> um, so we want to talk about that. We're going to then do... Actually, it's August now. We started in August of 2017. Yeah. So Playing D&D. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it was, I thought it might be earlier, but no, it was. It was, it was like August 1st or something, because I know on my old phone I had a text on July 28th that said, hey, what do we need to bring for food for uh, our first game? Wow, yeah. So t- we've been in D&D two years. We are not super veterans. pizza, but by the way. We've been having a lot of fun. Yeah, Marco's Pizza. We yeah. never tried it again because it was not that very was not very good. Not saying anything bad about Marco's. Maybe we just got a bad batch. So we're talking about why we play Dungeons and Dragons. We want to talk about, um, what was the next thing, our story recap? or No, yeah. we're going to explain the world a little bit yeah. to you. Just in case you're jumping in, you're like, hey, I don't want to go back through 48 episodes. Honestly, I think that's a solid... If you're coming in when we're doing our next thing, I say just jump it right into that after if we do a good job explaining this because, I mean, the first half of this podcast, we had audio issues. Still, we're we're beholden to where we get to record this show. Um, it's probably all right. <clears throat> we got fans going. It's summertime. We don't have air conditioner in this thing, so... 
we're we're beholden to where we can film or record the show, so there's audio issues and stuff uh, that come up. So I can imagine maybe moving forward, hopefully we'll have some some better times with that. But if you're here, listen to this and decide for yourself if you want to go back and experience all the things that we have, uh, or if you just want to move forward with us. Quick announcement as well before we get right into this is that in the future for the next couple of sessions, the next couple of episodes, probably more than a couple, probably the next 10 or so, um, we're going to be doing one-off <coughs> campaigns. Uh, Josh is going to be our next DM for uh, probably about three episodes and then it'll be either Bryce or Zenus and then it'll be either Bryce or Zenus again and then maybe if we'll see how it's going if we're getting any feedback maybe i'll throw in an extra one shot that i do and then we'll hop back into regular dungeon boys season two um with me as a dm as long as that's what everybody wants but if you know if we hit on one of those it's kind of the way um the adventure zone did it i believe uh but if we hit on a um you know a thing a story that everybody's like oh man this is way better than original dungeon boys like bryce's campaign is the best thing i've ever heard do that more then Bryce will have to buckle down, and that's what we'll have to do, probably. Um, so, yeah, so that's, you, that's not an optional thing. You you have to do that. <laughs> you have to run yeah, the campaign yeah. now. <laughs> you have, we, it probably won't be as simple as that, but that's the, the it's half the point of why we're doing it. We want to, you know... Should we give an explanation? Or we don't really know much. Should we give the general idea of what the first campaign is supposed to be, or oh, just let, let Josh him, reveal well, that? Well, let's let Josh reveal that. I don't want to take any of his thunder. He had a really good idea. Yeah. But we will tell you, I'll be playing a, I'll be playing an orc fighter, and it will take place in the same world of Medine that I've created. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to play a lightning genasi. Yeah. Uh, I want to see how that goes. Genasi. That's pretty cool. In the dark, you can say... I'm Genasi, so you Genasi me. Mm. <laughs> he's a lightning Genasi, so I imagine like little sparks come yeah. off of him. He's easy to see. So that's the announcement. So tune in, future episodes. This will probably be released in at least two parts. This is going to be a long conversation. <laughs> so uh, this will probably be released in two parts over two weeks, so you can get the full recap, and then we're going to move straight into doing our one-offs. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and we're going to see what you guys like. Of course, if you've made it this far into the show, I need you to let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you what you enjoy and what you don't. Follow us on Twitter at Tank Media Games to talk to us or leave a review or whatever. Um, I know we've taken about 10 minutes to, to get fully rolling, but here we are. So, Bryce, you and Josh are responsible, I would say, for us playing Dungeons & Dragons. I'd say mostly Josh. You think so? Yeah. Because of that, uh... Then why are you here? <laughs> because Josh can't be. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> Josh is actually at another Comic-Con, and that yep. is the reason we started. It is, yep. Because Josh went to Comic-Con, and he ran across some people who were... I think it actually began with Stranger Things. Oh, Stranger absolutely. Things is brought back Dungeons & Dragons, and it made the people who created, like, Adventure Zone, I guess, kind of want to jump into it. Yeah, maybe so. And, I, well, even if it wasn't that, then it was at least probably the inspiration for having a booth at a major Comic-Con. Yeah, maybe so. And Josh found out about it, got their card, and started listening to it. You're talking about, he started listening to the Adventure Zone. I don't know if that's the first one he listened to. I think it might be. That's the one that he turned me on to. Okay, then maybe so. But, anyway, he started listening to a 
Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Yep. Spread the love to you. Yes, and I got hooked. Yeah. Hopelessly hooked. And Keith, being the creative mind that he is, he wanted to create his own new world. It is true. And we started. We started. I. Th- I always thought whenever we first started that you made up the very beginning of your first campaign. Oh no. <laughs> I realized that that is just like the starter thing mm-hmm. that everybody does. The minds of Fandover. Mm. It comes in the beginner pack. Yeah. So we just started with the basic basic story and Keith evolved it into like a magic zombie apocalypse thing. It was pretty cool. I almost want to go back and like Yeah have a more experienced yes. retelling of that I would, campaign. I would really very much enjoy going back and doing it again where it wasn't like just pull everything out of your butt and not know how to do everything. Yeah. I, I, I knew nothing, you know? Roll Which, for initiative. What's that? It was kind of helpful to where most of us knew nothing because yeah. now we have different... <clears throat> I mean, we have... You've heard it on the show or whatever. We're all very close. Like Bryce, Josh, and I are brothers and we're very close and I'm very... And also, I would like to just get... I don't think I'm going to get emotional... But D&D and playing D&D is responsible, I think, for our relationship, you know, strengthening and us doing tons of stuff together. And, like, now, before we started playing D&D, I didn't see Bryce a lot. I don't know. I'm looking at the computer. I'm, I've, I've got I'm, – I'm into this thing where when I stream, I'm always looking for chat. <laughs> and so, like, there's no, nothing on that computer. Uh, but, you hey, know – so just like normal. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keith is popular. Now I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, but... Um, now Y'all tune into Keith's game streams. Now I consider, like, you're one of my best friends, and I enjoy hanging out with you more than most people. Now I'm so, going to cry. So it's just been really cool that this has brought us together. It's not a Satanist thing, you know? What? D&D. Oh, okay. It was part of the Satanic Panic back in the 80s or 70s or whatever when D&D first started. Have you heard of that? This the satanic panic. It was a, this thing where like suburban families thought that Satan was waging war against the youth, and you know D and D was part of that. They thought it was of the devil. I know there's some kind of like music group of some sort called Satanic Panic. Well, yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know if the chicken came before the egg on that one. Um, but anyway, I think I'm it's thankful like a, to D and D. Yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot, and also I don't know. D and D almost kind of therapeutic. Yeah. Because you're not yourself, but you still are yourself, and yeah. you can act out any any misgivings you have about your fellow <laughs> players. <laughs> oh, I was just in character whenever I shouted yeah. at you like that. Yeah. Um, th- to finish my thought, though, what I'm saying was now we have this experience level, and it's all varying. And I was trying to say that you know, me and Josh and Bryce are very close. We're we're brothers. We're family. And Zenus is an honorary brother of mine. We share no familial relation, but you know, Zenus and I are—he's one of my closest friends neither as well. We. Yeah, and neither, yeah, <laughs> ne- yeah. De- Bryce, well, yeah. We're not going to explain our family situation. <laughs> we'll make another two-part episode on that. But now that we have these differing levels of experience, like Zenus, this. D and D is one of his core interests. It's one of you know mine too. But like he's he's always searching things, and he's got a a brain full of stuff that he's memorized about the show, which can lead to us having like DM versus player scuffles on the show, uh, which especially is, in the magic portion. Yeah, Keith Keith is not a caster by uh, like any video game he's played. Never played the caster. He I always played the you. guy with the bow. Yep. Bow, or if if there is no bow available, give me a sword, or now give me an axe. <laughs> I thought playing D and D and it being so like open to interpretation, I thought I'd like the casting classes, but I actually think my favorite class thus far is the rogue. 
Yeah. I've, like, whenever I played games, I always liked the sneaky type. Even, like, playing, like, Splinter Cell, that that was just a cool game. Mm. Shooting out light bulbs and stuff yeah, like man. that. I loved that. So, <clears throat> different experience levels that leads to scuffles, but we just... As what I'm saying is, even with that, it would be cool to go back to the original campaign and be yeah. like, and try to play it up and figure out how to make it better and stuff. Because I tried to build in a twist, and you know, I, I was getting my feet wet with storytelling, but also it was like, well, what did you get done this week? Well, I'll build the rest of the story after, you know, after mm-hmm. after that. Um, I just wrote it all down on a legal pad. Like every <laughs> during when I in some downtime at work, I would just take out my legal pad and. Just write the campaign out essentially, and then at bring least forty five percent of the time you left that legal pad at work though. Yeah, <laughs> and we just went <laughs> yeah straight out the butt. <laughs> yeah, many times I just had to really pull it out my butt. But I had a few created a few cities. Um, <clears throat> Understone, I think, was one had the big chandelier in it that you guys fought a boss on the chandelier. Yeah, that was cool. Um, we had you had a moment where you climbed up a tower didn't you or Zenus or somebody climbed up a tower and just murdered some people oh yeah that was the beginning of Mosnac that was the uh I had like controlled the mind of this uh stone golem yeah and I was I was on his back and he was carrying me up the side of a tower and we got up to the top and we were stealthed and I wanted to pull the guy over the edge but I rolled a nat 20 so I ended up like throwing <laughs> yeah. him into the forest yeah. behind us, like a mile away. Yeah, there's some, there's something about the innocence of like you don't really know how the game works. Yeah. And I feel like at the beginning, and it's one thing that I need to just say more on the show is the rule. I I think I adhere by the rule of cool, which yeah. is a D and D thing. Is like if it's cool, if it's gonna be cool. I'll let you try it, you know, or like if it's something that's cool, yeah. we'll bend the rules a little bit to make like, it happen. There's no rule about when you jump off a tower onto somebody, how much damage does that deal? But when yeah. Zenus wanted to jump off the tower on the gate and land on that dude's chest, we did some yeah. math. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did a pretty good job. I think just so too. Whatever falling damage you would normally incur was just yeah. transferred to that person, and you took like half as much or whatever. And we he's did. a he was a big boy, so he caved the guy's chest in. It makes yeah. sense. Um, and we'll get to that. We'll get yeah, to that we where will, we explain we the story. I am giddy with joy talking about this. <laughs> I'm absolutely like almost shaking with joy and pride over these accomplishments. But so D and D, we all love fantasy stuff. I mean, yeah. love fantasy stuff. And Josh came, and I remember the, a conversation we had in the barn um, where Josh was like, we, we need to play D&D or whatever. And uh, it was before I started listening to the show, to the Adventure Zone. Shout-outs to Griffin and Justin and Travis McElroy and Clint. I never actually yeah. listened to it. Well, shout-outs to them. I don't really care for their show now. Going back, I don't know how much I would like the Adventure Zone as much. They they went very narrative. They went. It seemed like... They're, the real sell of the the Adventure Zone is that story that Griffin McElroy had written, mm-hmm. and it came to a point where like he would, it was like half D and D and half him telling the story, which is not a problem. It was a riveting story. I really enjoyed it, and a yeah. lot of twists and stuff. It was just at the end, it it didn't seem like the players had much agency. Um, but this is not a Taz you know review show. I just I don't think I'd very much enjoy it. Then maybe I'm maybe I'm accused of railroading sometimes. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know. I think it's kind of necessary whenever you it have is. it in recorded form. True. Because otherwise, you there's the possibility of getting off on a tangent, yeah. and it's just 
I, I like the way yours is going. It, it's almost like a video game where there's a clear path to success. Yeah. And there, there's no questioning that. You can do what you want, but you're not going to get any further until you continue the main quest. Right, sure. And I, I've tried to throw in a few few side quests, a few things that you guys didn't have to do, and I can't think of one off the top of my head, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll discover it eventually. Um, but anyway, so I remember Josh saying, hey, we we want to play D&D. We need to play D&D. We would, we would all enjoy that. And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And he was like, and we think you should be the DM. And I was like... I don't know how to play this game. <laughs> and there was a toss-up or, or something in the beginning of me or Zenus being the, the DM for some reason. And you guys didn't know Zenus that well. I listened to the show, got hooked to the Adventure Zone, and I was like, I can do this. So I think I took the helm and did the, the, the DMing the first time. I don't think you enjoyed it as much as... This one? Yeah. I eventually got pretty stressed out about it. It was just... It wasn't... Not knowing how to DM... I mean, I don't... Again, don't, I'm not asking for like super critiques. Like, well, actually, you suck, <laughs> so you you shouldn't do it anymore. Um, not having any experience with it, it became difficult. It was like, oh man, I really don't want to sit down and write that down. What what they're gonna do? I would much rather because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of like, yeah, you know, because it's not a in a video game. It's of course the same amount of work, or in a story. How about when you're writing a book? It's like I. I tell the thing can only go one way because it's only going to go the way yeah. I write it. But with D and D, you've got to yeah. write a book that gives options no yeah. matter which what, what they decide. Like you know, you gotta you gotta if they go into the tavern, there's got to be multiple people there, otherwise it feels stupid. And then like you can either there be one important person and the rest of them say like <laughs> I don't know that guy in the corner looks pretty scary, <laughs> or you can like actually give the people stuff to say and actual problems and things like that and that's something i need to work on and yeah, i wish like, i had more time to work on this in our original campaign Zenus like stole some stuff from a shop we were in he did well he used that mind thing to make the guy like not care that he was taking stuff oh, off the shelves so. or whatever but if anybody else had been in that shop at that time they would have been like hey you know that guy's just taking stuff off your shelves right yeah 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 so, I mean, that's stuff we didn't really think about just because whenever you're playing the game, it's just you. You're, yep. You and your friends are the only people in this world until you have to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's on a screen or anything and you yeah. can see that guy over there. Right. But, um, <clears throat> so we did the DM thing. There are so many challenges to not knowing how to play this game and then trying yeah. to DM. I've, we've never done, besides the beginning of the Minds of Fandelver, we've never done a module We've never done anything that's prepared. I'd love to try that. Dude. I agree. I think that would be a lot of fun. It might turn us off from trying to make our own stuff. <laughs> but I just, to me, I find it easier to make my own stuff than rather like the idea of studying something that someone else made bums me out. I don't want to yeah. like sit there and study something and it seems a little bit more complicated. I felt like I can make something a little more linear for us to try as a training wheels kind of thing. Um, I like making my own world. I like that kind of thing. Uh, but I think a mantra would be cool. We don't know anything about that. And then we started out like, one thing about me is when I make a character, I'm like, a, I'm like well, down the road, straight, one way. You know, like, mm. if I'm a fighter, I'm going to be a fighter all the way through. I'm not thinking about multiclassing or whatever. Because for me, my enjoyment a lot of times comes from the interactions. Like, I would get, I would have more fun, like, telling Bryce's character off 
than I would have killing a goblin, you know? Yeah. Like, I can I can go play God of War, which I'm playing now on twitch.tv slash games, or youtube.com slash games. I can go play God of War and experience a lot more fun combat swinging an axe around, you know? Yeah. I can do that. But what I can't do is make decisions in that game with my own mouth and have what I say impact what moves forward. So that's what I have fun with. But we have a lot of homebrew desires in our in our group as well, and it's, it's hard to field those a lot of times. You don't know what's going to make someone overpowered and then make the game not so much yeah. fun. It's, it's not really like the abilities that will be overpowered, like, oh, you have two more strength than you should have that's fine that's only that only equates to one point right whenever you're looking at modifiers but then you find an item that doubles your strength or whatever mm-hmm. and now you have plus 12 to your strength modifier or whatever it, it just you never know what items are already yeah. in D that are going to cause changes because there's tons of them there's yeah. like a whole book of magic items and you can't you can't foresee all those things. Um, there's so many topics, like so many subtopics that I want to get into. I know, yeah. We started this with why do we play D and D, but we're just, yeah. just so. If, let us know if you enjoy this kind of thing, and Bryce and I will have more discussions. Um, we we might just make a fun, have a fun one after we're done with this conversation. But right now, let's rein it back in for uh, why do we play D and D, and why have we kept going? So why do we play? Josh got turned on to it. He turned us on to it. We gave it a shot. We had a wonderful time. Great time. A, had a great time playing the game. The game is fun. It is fun to hang out with your buddies, pretend to be other people, and, you know, kill stuff in a fantasy world and, like, have a story. Also, for me, it allowed me to have a much closer relationship with my brothers and with Zenus as well. I'm always down for close relationships. I'm always down for that kind of thing. So I'm very thankful to D&D, and that's another reason why I play. I would call that probably at least 40 percent of why <laughs> i want to keep playing D. 15 <laughs> one <laughs> one percent Bryce, only because i need you other people yeah <laughs> i'd play it by myself <laughs> um Bryce, why are there any reasons that i didn't mention that you are into D that you like doing this um because video games can't facilitate the stuff that i want to be able to do sure like there's like, you play Skyrim and things like that, and the magic system in Skyrim is cool. You can cast two spells at one time. Mm-hmm. You can combine spells to make more powerful spells, things like that. But you can't, like... If the if the thing doesn't exist in the game, it doesn't exist. You can't yep. make it exist, unless you're, like, a modder or whatever. But even then, that's weeks of work for not much. Right. But in D&D, you can say it exists, and it does. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to find a spell that makes people like blink rapidly, I could do that. Yeah. And or if you have a kind DM, you could let him. You could just make it so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the really cool features. I really enjoy magic in that sense, like when it's part of the world, like when you find like ancient magic items and things Ooh, like yeah. that. Like, we'll probably get into about stuff we were given mm-hmm. by Garl. Garl, get a cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's one of the main things I like. That plus uh, the actual RP of it yeah. is, like, my character is supposed to be kind of a more suave stealth, 
he's his class is swashbuckler, so mm. he is a swashbuckler. And you can't do that in a video game. You can't yeah. taunt your enemies most of the time in most games like that. You can't like shout around a corner, "Hey, that's what your mom said." Yeah, you, kind of stuff. You can't decide what they're gonna yeah. do. Like you know, in a in a video game, if you're in the middle of a mission or something, you know, there's you can open your inventory or you can do these sort of things, but you can't like call back to your allies and say like, "Hey, what I think you should do is you should." take this corner and do this yeah. and then we'll enact the like you can't plan that way you can like choose an option now when they progress uh full immersion virtual reality to the point where you can do that in a video game the show will stop yeah no no more dungeons and dragons <laughs> we're getting rid of that <laughs> yeah i'm getting me an immersion capsule and mm-hmm. i will be in that game 90 percent of my life yeah. yes <laughs> i agree <laughs> it would be so cool to just complete full immersion fantasy world where you just get to go in there and play D&D but you're experiencing it that would be super cool. I kind of want to have a conversation on that at some point. I don't want to live in that world though. Like I need I need that to be a single player game cuz if yeah. There's there's too much depravity in the D&D community. <laughs> like our one thing our game is way tame. Yeah. We don't have a bard that has sex with dragons. Like we don't have most of the time. Yeah, we don't have that kind of stuff. And not because it's like a principal thing. Had a it's couple just, alcoholics in our other game. Yeah, but it's just, it's just, uh, <laughs> which don't really. That's just not so funny to me. Like I, I play a bard in our other campaign, and like it just for me to have sex with everything as a character A that just feels weird. Like I don't. That's just not me. You either so. get into the ha 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 that's so random kind of thing, Ugh. or it's the uh, you have some serious issues you're expressing. <laughs> yeah, virtually. Good reasons to want to play, though, Bryce. Good reasons. Yeah. Reasons we've kept going. Uh, well, nobody stopped us. Um, it's not so hard for us to do that we... I mean, we do it without reward, right? We do it without much feedback or really any feedback. But, I mean, we have fun doing it. Also, the recording and putting... Everything I do with creativity, I put myself on a schedule. Because mm. it keeps me doing it. Like, if I just say, like, I want to make a and d show, but it, whenever... It doesn't get made, but if I tell myself, I want to make a D&D show, and I will have an episode every week, and then it needs to, you know, barring unforeseen circumstances, because if you've listened to this, you know we've missed a week, uh, but put myself on a schedule, and then it happens. If I put myself on a schedule for something fun, I'm a big fan of that. I'm on a yeah. schedule for, you know, I've put myself on a schedule, I stream every weekday morning. It's fun. It's the most fun part of my day. Mm. Uh, well, until, you know, until I get home after work, it's... I spend all day at work, not fun, don't enjoy it, but I get to start my day with something fun because I've scheduled myself to do that. So, I mean, um, the game doesn't, the it, Dungeons and Dragons, it doesn't record itself. You yes. put in a lot of work on that. Sure. But I feel as though the time we spend doing it, and you, you also spend a lot of time on prep, like building mm-hmm. the world that we'll eventually get to explaining. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And yes. it's it certainly it shows that the world is prepared before we get to it because mm. things that's my hope barring our personal mess ups like as players throwing monkey wrenches into stuff that don't even make sense yeah uh, the world flows pretty smoothly like mm. there's never a oh I kind of forgot you had to there was a transition between you're in this town and that town right uh, let me make that up real quick um. If you've seen the meme where it's Homer Simpson 
I believe, from the front. He looks fine, and his arms are out. He like he, his skin is perfectly, you know, on his body. And then when it turns around, like there's all these like chip clips where his skin is pulled back tight, so it doesn't look like his skin is droopy. Like you uh, can see in the back of him, all his skin is like pulled together, and like these clips are barely holding his skin back there. Mm. That's what it feels like to be a DM of this campaign, because it's just like, because that's because I don't know how y'all, how you all, y'all, how I don't I don't know how you perceive it. Yeah. I don't know if you perceive it as being coherent or not. But I can see in my like all the wheels are turning in my head, like trying to remain thinking about what's going on, which leads to me making mistakes. But like I can see all the seams. It's the same way I look at any video I make. I've never put out a video on YouTube and been like, "It's perfect. It was yeah. good." I always because I I know every seam, every every clip I had to cut together and like you know barely glue together, and every, I know every where all the issues are. And that's what I see when I watch through it. That's what I'm experiencing whenever I'm giving you the world. I think so that comes with anything creative, yeah, though. Like, when I make knives, I I know every little nick and scratch that I accidentally got in the handle whenever I was putting it on, something like that. I know, hey, that piece of wood actually broke off when I was making it. I just glued it back in place. <laughs> nice. Nobody else can tell I did right. that, but I know I did that. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I feel, too, is that... When you like, if you were to look at it as a player, you might think, "Man, this world, there's no end to it, and there's stuff everywhere." But like, you know, it's kind of like the video game where once you get behind the trees, you can see that yeah. maybe there isn't anything <laughs> back there. That's, I mean, no one runs a campaign where just yeah, like especially whenever you have to fix something, you feel like you've ruined everything. Like whenever yeah. something goes like even the slightest bit wrong, you're and you, you have to like play catch up with yourself to try mm-hmm. and cover it up. You feel like, oh God, everybody saw that. That, yeah. that is, this is going horribly and wrong. And then I think about it for six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Get stomach aches. Yeah. Cry a little bit. Yeah. Every, after every session, I cry a little bit. Consider drinking. That's not true. Yeah. To drown my sorrows. Um, In Diet Coke. Yeah. We're, Bryce and I are both on the keto diet. We're both no carbonate, trying to lose a few pounds. It is fantastic yeah. for for weight loss not oh, for your is. health it is very bad yeah. for your health yeah i was grilling me lizzie lizzie and i are both doing it i was grilling or making some hamburgers in a cast iron skillet and just like watching all that grease <laughs> just thinking like well we're both about to eat these it'd probably take about a year off our life but at least we'll be skinnier <laughs> <laughs> i've lost 30 pounds in the seven weeks that very I've been impressive on it's, just, it's good i like it very impressive bryce i have not I just started this week, though. Okay, I think it's transition time. I think yeah. we can move into actually talking about this world of Medin. You know why we play it, and the, the reason... We, I the, think we covered that. Yeah, synopsis of why we keep doing it is... It brings us together. It brings us together, and it's fun, and... The, Nowhere else can you get that sort of entertainment. Yes. Video can. games can't facilitate it. You can get it a little bit from books and sometimes movies, but then you it's don't not really you. have much choice in that either. Yeah. So. So that's why we do it. Moving on. Clip. We're gonna cut to our discussion. The world discussion. of Medine. <laughs> uh, I would like to briefly explain to you if you are, which I can't imagine a world where this is your first introduction to anything we do, and you've made it this far, but. <laughs> If, you, if it is, let's exp- I'll explain the world a little bit. So, uh, Dungeon Boys takes place in the world of Medine. Uh, everything we do so far has taken place in the world of Medine. Um, well, maybe. 
maybe recently we left the world. Who knows? Um, and then uh, the one-off campaign, so far I think most people are probably going to keep it in this world of Medine. doesn't matter if they do. It's not... Yeah, mine's going to take place on like a tiny island that's unnamed and probably sure. unknown. And that's fine. With a character that I hope you threw away and isn't important later on. He's not. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's a character that was made up. Okay. <laughs> Mostly. Made up solely because I went into the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing about D&D, quickly, is like, you as a DM, you do have to just be ready for that. Like, you can't make everybody... And everybody knows that. And so whenever, he, like, Br- yeah. Bryce is talking about a character named Pinkerton Toulouse. Keith designed the mess hall, but a kitchen has to supply that mess hall. I don't think he was expecting me to go, hey, can I go help out in the kitchen? That's something you can't do in a video game. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You cannot say, I'm a, I'm a spy that stabs people. If I'm on a boat, can I go cut potatoes in the kitchen? Some exactly. video games will let you do that, you know, but... They ask. They probably tell you it's available. Like, like maybe there's a potato on the counter as you're passing through, and it says like press A to chop. Yeah. And then you go, and continue walking. But in that situation, yes, I did not expect anybody would want to enter. I I did have in my brain like, yeah, there's a guy, there's a chef back there cooking, you know. Yeah. But I never had in my mind that anybody would like want to go learn about him. <laughs> and so, Pinkerton Toulouse was born. <laughs> But um, I'm gonna have so much fun with that. <laughs> the world of Medine. So the continent of Medine is uh, is a setup of four or five fairly large islands. One big island called the mainland. There's a an island to the north called Medine's Crown. There's one to the east called the Isle of Flame because it looks like a flame. Um, there's a big island to the south called the Round Isle, and then one to the um, the uh, southwest called it looks like a skull, but I forget yeah. what it's... Do we have the map in your box? Um, the map is on that table over there. Um, I forgot. I've truly forgot what it's called, but there's there's a lot of cities that I've built on this world, and um, the one overarching thing in this world is that magic didn't exist. Isle Burren? It's Yes, the Isle Burren, but it looks like a skull. Um... Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll look at the map a little bit while we do this. Um, but I've created this world. One of the main things about this world is that uh, magic did not exist in this world and the history of it throughout all time. Uh, it was just like a, a tribal, you know, existence. People, ra- the races grew up. They created tribes and... You know, it was kind of an evolution thing, and they figured out their places in the world. But eventually, at least based on the history that people provide, the gods saw fit to add magic to the world. They were like, okay, this this world is established. Let's toss in something else and to see how it goes. Uh, now, the orcs, were they... I don't actually know this myself. Were they one of those tribal races? No, and I'll get to that in just... Okay. I'll get to the orcs in just a second. The orcs are kind of special. Um, so the gods throw in magic, and... Uh, un, maybe unforeseen to them, magic causes quite a divide in throughout the world. People who figure it out, uh, they begin to put themselves ahead of people who didn't know how to, you know, use magic, and so that created this kind of class system where you're you're less than valuable if you don't use magic, don't know how to use magic. You are exceptionally valuable if you do. It just is these two classes that of people that come out of that. 
Also, magic is very uh, very difficult to perform, uh, at least in its original state. And so, you know, the only way you're going to get good at magic is if you have the time and the resources to buy books and to study and to learn and to, to actually, if you have the wealth to to um, it's kind of like science. That. Yeah, yeah. It's like you need a grant to do your researches yeah. and, st- and stuff like that. There's You're not going to be a homeless person that's good at magic, most mm. likely. Because either you, and that's the whole thing, is that we do have all the the um, the the classes, you know, like sorcerer and warlock and stuff. I haven't limited that. I've limited a few races, um, but <clears throat> we we have all the classes. So, you know, warlocks get their magic in a different way, and sorcerers get their magic in a different way. But wizards see themselves as the creme de la creme. We got our magic the right way. We studied. We earned this. We're we're rich. So most of the time, your your highest rank people are wizards. They look down on everybody mostly. They look down on sorcerers because oh, you just got your magic because of your family. You know, you you didn't earn it. They look down on warlocks because they're like whores of the magic world. Like you sold your soul to to get this magic. That's um, me. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they they look down on. They they look down on druids a little bit too because the druids they draw their power from the nature from nature. Um, they don't. They're not from their mind. Yeah, they all they druids. I'm sure study and everything in the world, but uh, the just wizards are at this point where they're mostly they're more powerful than most people because they have the resources to study and and hold things together, uh, and they kind of look down on everybody. Um, but it's kind of a flowing scale. Like anybody who can use magic, these warlocks, sorcerers, druids probably also look at people who can't. Most of them, Arlo doesn't. He's a druid. He's he's a kindly fellow. Um, probably brought on by the fact that he was an orphan, so you know he had his own issues. But magic users look down on people who can't use magic, and the world reflects that. Uh, the world is governed by a ten-member high council that lives in the the capital city of Harmony which I named to be uh, ironic because the world is not in harmony. Um, the, the, we, we're learning that the world uh, is kind of built on this balance, uh, and the balance has been thrown off a little bit by a high, high council that eventually has created itself to be a ten, made of ten wizards. At one point, the high council was formed by the tribes people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> there's there's nine now, <laughs> um, but it's made up of ten wizards. Uh, it used to be kind of a tri- the you know we might have a, a human person in there, and might have a, an elf, and might have a uh, uh, you know dwarf, and different races, and also different classes of people who make up the high council. But the high council has gotten greedy with magic. Um, you know, they've hold, they've walled themselves off and they have made it to where they're all wizards. So, go ahead. So this whole time I was thinking they were all human just because I was thinking like a... I was thinking in terms of our world, but I, I take it there's no real racism. It's more classism. There's some racism. The gnomes tend to be more pro- have a propensity for being slaves. They're small size, and if they can't defend themselves, you know, they end up being slaves a little bit in this world. Yeah. Um, there is some racism. People don't like orcs mostly, uh, just because of where they came from, which I'll explain shortly. But no, they're, yeah, they're, the council is not all human. Okay. There's some there's some non-human ones there, but the council has been ten wizards for a while now. Hmm. 
uh, and which leads me to what's going on in the world is that the the ten wizards, the high council, has begun what is called the the it's the the culling um, something. It was like a legislation. They legislate. They made it legal for them to come into almost on a weekly basis to settlements and pull people from that settlement. Um, they send uh, their military there and you know five or six people from a town might get pulled up mostly strong men are pulled up and taken off in a cart under the guise of you're going to work for the for the government you we, we've got projects that need to be done we've got to improve the life for the citizens in this world so we got to take you we'll bring you back eventually is usually the way the cullings work but as you can probably imagine most people don't like that people don't they're not told where the, their husbands and fathers are being taken uh, and so the culling thing is causing a lot of issues, uh, but we learn as well that the cullings are not a good thing. This, this, this is, it's a bad thing. It's essentially um, slavery. It's eventually also mostly, not mostly, but sometimes extermination of people who can't use magic. The only people who are taken up are people who can't use magic. It's from poorer families. They're not taking anybody who's wealthy. So they're doing that. The people who are acting out that... Um, that process are is the the Continental Army. It is the the council's own proprietary military force. They didn't always have a military force. This is a new thing that the, the Council of Ten Wizards has produced. The council did not always have their own proprietary army, uh, but now they do because they sent at least the, the you know what people know is that they sent a wizard to Isle Burren to try to figure out how to produce an army for them that would not have its own way of thinking you know like kind of a robotic do what we say because you're hungry for blood you're bloodthirsty without emotion so he comes back with the first orc he says i've created this race of creatures strong no emotion does what you tell it to do dumb <laughs> dumb yeah and so he begins production of the orcs very saruman style from lord of the rings and so then we have this continental army but that process doesn't work every time. I, I know this is a long explanation to get us set up. I'm not yawning because of that. Yeah. I'm yawning because I got up at 5 o'clock this yeah, morning. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, but that process doesn't work every time. So there are orcs in the world that aren't part of the army. The process of creating a, a being devoid of emotion and devoid of its own agency uh, doesn't always work. So sometimes the process spits out an orc that you know may be kind uh, and has its own, you know, will and desires or whatever. They don't kill those. They just send them out into the world. Um, that's one kindness that the the council has done, I guess. I don't know if it's under the guise of being or on, under the claim of being kind, but you know, they don't. They're not murdering these things. They send them out into the world to, you know, be and do. Yeah. So that's where we get some orcs in the world, which is where I'm going to play. Live and let do. Yeah, yeah live and let do, baby. <laughs> uh, so. What is happening ever since the council, almost measurably, ever since the council has become ten wizards, ever since they have begun doing this, uh, it is palpable that things have been going weird in the world. Uh, people, where there didn't used to be a ton of magical creatures that would attack and, and be hostile towards uh, other, I want to say humans, but uh, they're beings. more yeah other beings. Um, yeah, I get called on that a lot. Like, you can't really say humanity. Yeah. It's not all humans. You can't say 
uh, every man, woman, and child. Right. Not everybody is man. <clears throat> Good lord, yeah. that was bad. Man, woman, or child. Yeah, you can't say everybody like he's just a man. He does this. You got to say he's just an elf or he's just mm-hmm. an orc. Yeah, um, we're all just human. It's beings, very, man. it's very difficult. But ever since the council has started, you know, doing the cullings and doing these kind of things and, and uh, messing around, making orcs, you know, creating a new race and all this stuff, things have been going wonky in the world. Um, creatures are more hostile. There are creatures that we never knew existed that you guys met in some of the most recent episode, episodes. There are... Creatures from another world. There, Yeah, there's more violence. There's all... The world just seems to be almost reacting to what's going on that this council is doing. They're throwing things off, and the world seems to be reacting to that. Uh, and in for the sake of the world reacting to that, uh, and because the world is reacting, uh, one way it's reacting is there's a resistance that is forming against this council. They they're, they have seen the, the evils of it. Some of them actually know their motives. The leader of this, this uh, uh, resistance actually has been close to the council if not in the council before um and they know what they're trying to do within you know a little bit or know at least the the beginning plans of what the council is trying to do and so they've created a resistance called the servants of the scale um and that is something that is secret not everybody knows about that we'll learn about that shortly we also as far as i know we did not know that that was a wizards of the coast thing already yeah did not know that I did yeah. not know the Servants of the Skill was the thing. I started playing Magic the Gathering a couple months back, like six months ago probably, and I opened a pack of random cards, and the card on top of this first pack I ever opened was one guy called the Servant of the Scale. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's kind of like Keith's D&D thing. Oh, wait. These are both made by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Did Keith steal this? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I truly did not know I was stealing that. Um, I had never heard of that before. But they almost, also do kind of the same thing. It's like almost yeah. this, I've just created the same exact thing that, I mean, that name kind of makes sense. But mm. um, yeah. That, we serve the balance. We serve the balance of the world. Um, so that organization exists, but nobody knows about it. It's not mm. a public eye thing. It's not like, hey, look, there's the resistance fighting off because it's very small at this point. Our campaign begins in this turmoil. Our campaign begins on the island of Lonesome, uh, which again, I just take, I like naming things with meaning. Like it's, the city's name is Lonesome because it's the only city on the Isle of Flame. Yeah. (laughs) I just like naming things like that. Um, People get into that sort of thing. Yeah. They eat it up. Yeah. I hope, eat eat up my lore. (laughs) Devour my lore. There's plenty of it. Get some lore down your neck. And that is so this the really sinking your teeth into creating a world is a lot of fun like mm. you know you start asking questions you need like, to write a book I, I do want to write a book it'll be fun <laughs> i think i might write a book in this world but we'll see that'd be cool that's why i'm not playing um oak prime uh. i don't, I don't want to sully him with me not doing him justice yeah um and so the world, you can write him the world hates rangers injustice like <laughs> yeah i can do him and injustice but our campaign begins there uh and our campaign begins with the three dungeon boys they have enrolled in the lonesome investigative department the lid uh, which has been created uh kind of to investigate the if they're kind of like law enforcement in the city 
Uh, more like a detective agency, the city has its own guards, but the LID is more of you know investigating these weird things that have been going on ever since the council has been doing their thing. It's still a government agency. They're not saying, hey, the council is goofing, we need to figure it out. But that's their kind of their thing, and also their LID. They keep they're they're keeping a lid on some things, you know. Another <laughs> another naming thing. Um, was that intentional or yeah. just a happy accident? No, it was intentional. All right. Uh, uh, so that's where our thing begins, and that's where our characters meet one another. And so then we can kind of start our story recap, which if we wanted to, to could probably take six hours, but I don't <laughs> think it's going to. Um, I don't think I'm going to give you any, any any interlude music, but I do have to pee, so I'm gonna we're gonna experience a brief cut here. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so I'll be we'll be right back in maybe a second or maybe a brief interlude. And we are back from a brief cut. I had to pee. Bryce had to pee. Oop. Oop. <laughs> 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 Oh, you don't need to know that, though. But we're back. We are in the world of Medine. Waking up early is really starting to hit me. I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> um, but we are going to kind of recap the story. Well, really, Bryce is going to do a lot of recapping. And I'm going to try to listen yeah. and, and confirm. And uh, Keith handled most of the uh, the lore uh-huh. because he is more familiar with the world since he built it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bryce... We're at the the LID, the Lonesome Investigative Department. You, a tall, thin. Yeah, you're gonna have to help me out with some stuff. I, right. I know. So I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and explain my character. Yeah, good idea. Um, excuse me, I built. So he's based on a lot of other characters that I've seen. Mm-hmm. His demeanor is supposed to be. I don't know if you've all seen the movie Ratatouille, <laughs> but the uh, guy the the reviewer, what's what's it called? The food critic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anton Ego. Mm. That is supposed to be like his main, like the way he carries himself. Always walks slowly, smoothly, things like that. Mm. He he's a very controlled person. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as personality goes, he's supposed to be very kind and like generous, but he just looks really creepy, and nobody wants to really talk to him. Okay. But like Jack loves kids and he likes talking to people and stuff like that. Just nobody wants to do that. Because he looks very, very particular. Very creepy. What does he look like? He is a tall, thin, lanky elf boy. Mm-hmm. Um, he has long black hair and he has like the two little fantasy style, like the little front braid things that go just down in front of the ears or whatever. The Jewish style. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it's like three of them on either side, though. Okay. And uh, he wears a hat, and it's like a... I don't even know what kind of hat that is. It's the one you always see like the plague doctors wear. Okay. It's not quite a top hat. It like... Like a squished down top hat. Yeah, it like flares out towards the top of the top hat, and it's kind of short and squat. Mm-hmm. He also wears a plague mask, Um over, Big long nose mask. Yeah, like the beak thing, but it doesn't cover his whole face. It just covers his nose, and it comes down over his mouth, so you can't see his mouth, but it, it's not actually inside the mask. The mask is kind of like crescent moon-shaped, if you imagine like the U kind of points down. Sure. Anyway, so he doesn't have to take the mask off to eat is basically the, the thought behind that. 
The mask is to protect him from the smell of blood whenever he is in combat. Yeah. Because of the cullings, his wife was actually taken, and she resisted, and he tried to save her, and the orcs decided that it was too much trouble, so they just killed her right there in front of him. Mm. And he kind of broke down at that point. And after that, a secondary personality kind of started to emerge, which is based on, like, Jack the Ripper, basically. So that's another point of inspiration that I got for that. He hunts down orcs that are, like, stationed in towns and stuff and, like, lures them into alleys and butchers them. Because that's his occupation. Yeah, he was was a butcher. Him and his wife owned a butcher shop and... He she actually died like inside the shop. <clears throat> um, kind of ruined it for him. Yeah. <laughs> so he closed the shop. He kind of retired her knife, and he's been keeping up the family business just by butchering orcs in the middle of the street. But he's not been selling them. No, <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't really. He hasn't like communicated with this other personality it's not like they know each other but after about the third or fourth time waking up in a pool of blood he kind of figured out hey something's going on maybe maybe this isn't yeah maybe that wasn't a dream sure kind of deal so yeah jack is based on lots of other people and Um, i think we canonically said what brought him to try to enroll and be part of the lonesome investigative department was just to get closer to more works to kill yeah. Like to you know maybe or maybe try to help something if he knew he was killing that and kind of dissuade people from looking at him because he's mm. a upstanding lawman and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, let's see. Also, um, this will come up in season two, but we will find out that the judge, while he was fairly dormant, he's always been a part of Jack. He was mm. not created by that horrible event. Jack has always had, like, a secret little crazy side. Hmm. And the judge just kind of emerged. Oh, that's that's the name of the second personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. So okay. it's Jack Law and the judge, because I also like wordplay. Sure. <laughs> so Jack is protected by the judge, more or less. The judge is the second personality that's completely insane, and his only purpose in life is to kill orcs and to protect Jack. Hmm. If there is a threat to Jack, which he senses by the smell of blood, he emerges and he kills everything in sight that could possibly harm Jack. Nice. And that's and, and that's really why Josh and Bryce aren't here, or Josh and Zenas aren't here because yeah. he killed them. Yeah, and it, it's kind of it's also like an emotional protection too. Like he doesn't uh, he doesn't want Jack watching him butcher other humanoid creatures. So. Sure. Uh, the judge actually uses a warlock ability called uh, what's it called? Ghost, ghostly gaze, where mm. he can see through solid objects. Ooh. So he actually wears a blindfold, so Jack can't see because he's not a warlock, but he can see. Nice. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. And uh, yeah, so Jack, Jack is spared of all that kind of stuff. And, uh, oh yeah, that was the other thing. Uh, the Judge is a Warlock Hexblade. Um, if you know anything about the Hexblade, the person who carries the Hexblade is considered, like, that, uh, 
the the hex blade is like a demon infused blade mm. and the wielder of that blade is considered to be like its champion not all hex blades carry the actual hex blade some of them are just more like minions jack is kind of like a minion but the judge actually carries the real hex blade mm. which is the the true like uh patron or whatever and it's the same cleaver but it it along with the judge personality goes dormant whenever it's just jack there but as the judge emerges so does the hex blade so that's my character a lot of lore yeah for jack i spent a lot of time making him yeah and i he is born on my favorite character i've ever built yep uh, we'll briefly explain Zenus and uh, Josh's characters. Won't, we won't do them as much justice as they would. I I'm, I'm don't want to miss anything, but also I don't want to go too deep and have, get something wrong. Uh, Zenus plays an Osimar grave cleric named Thaddeus Grimm. Baker. Yeah, his name's Thaddeus Baker, uh, but he calls himself Grimm. He is called Grimm. Uh, he's a grave cleric, so death is his domain. Zenus also wanted to be, instead of carrying a weapon as a cleric, he wanted to punch things. And so we allowed him kind of to homebrew like a punching style where he punches with necrotic damage. So that's pretty cool. Uh, he comes from a fairly wealthy family in Lonesome. Um, <clears throat> and uh, His father's a paladin, correct? Yes, his father's a paladin. I forget so. what his mother did. Um, but it was Still something. counted amongst the mage class, basically. Yes, they're yeah, they're upper class. They're counted amongst the you know the mage <coughs> people, kinda. Um, Grim has always had a fascination with death. There, and he's an Asimar, which is a race that I didn't know existed before we made the campaign, uh, before I made the world. But he told me he wanted to be an Asimar, so I've worked that kind of into the fabric of this world that we've created. Um, so, so Grim is special in a way. Grim is not chosen one special. But Grimm does have a special connection with this world that will become more evident um, in the future. But I don't want to spend too much time on either of them just because I don't want to like say stuff yeah. that they would not sanction. Um, but I'll, I can do Arlo. Yeah, go ahead. Arlo is a redneck gnome, yeah. basically. He was orphaned, but he was taken in by a dwarf druid named Briar, who was a big old fat dwarf mm -hmm. that liked trees. We had a lot of fun with his fatness. Yeah, we had lots of earthquake stomping <laughs> yeah. fun with Briar. I just yep. said his name. There mm -hmm. we go. Um, so he his his main thing is he loves books. He's only just learning to read because Jack has been teaching him, but he thinks that he can he can learn more about the world and be more prepared for things if he reads lots of books. Also, books are super val are real valuable in this world. Yeah, that's that's something like mages have books because books is where they learn and mm -hmm. study for their magics, things like that. And it is not something that the common folk are allowed to have. Yeah. But we procure them yes. in different ways, steal them. Mostly steal them. <laughs> Mostly steal them. And uh, he has a hat that lets him store books as if it was a bag of holding. It yep. only holds books. Mm -hmm. And we had to help. This we'll explain more of this as we get into like the story itself. But we had to help him find his teacher Briar, which was mm -hmm. one of his other main goals. And we were able to find him and save him from 
a situation yeah. we will also get into in a minute. Yeah, so real quickly about Zenith's character, Grimm. Grimm has a... He likes to act. He's a big fan of, like, I will call it justice. He likes to help people, Grim I think. Justice. Yeah, he, yeah he, he's okay with killing bad people. Um, he doesn't like bad things to happen, kind I think. Kind of devil may cry, punisher sort of... Kind of. Yeah. Um, Violent, deadly justice. So that is why he decided to become a part of the Lonesome Investigative Department. He didn't want to necessarily hang out and be rich with his family. He wanted to, you know, go and and help people and do... Un, or keep wrongs from happening, I think. And then Arlo's reason for becoming part of the LID uh, is that he was supposed to meet Briar in Lonesome, uh, but Briar never showed up. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <clears throat> and uh, so he went and... Arlo's also all about preservation of life when possible. Yes. He's very much a support-type character, mm-hmm. even yeah. though he's probably the strongest amongst us. <laughs> now, certainly after yeah. all the leveling, he's he's... Can turn into a dang giant eagle, die, and then turn into something else. Yeah, um, but that's the characters. And, and if you have questions about the characters, hit us up, and we'll let you know. But now the story begins. <laughs> uh, you're in the lonesome investigative department. You get the briefings from Corgus Bach, the leader of the LID. Oh, uh, I forgot about all this. We yeah. We were tasked with checking out a strange strange occurrences in a logging camp, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing? Yeah. So we went out there, and we had the quintessential goblin encounter mm-hmm. that every single D&D campaign must start with. That was kind of a, that was also kind of a cheeky, I know that kind of thing yeah. as well. Because <laughs> they didn't have anything to do with the strange occurrences. Yeah. They were just there. Yeah. But it introduced us to, like, this is our first time playing these characters. That was the first time we entered combat and we understood what our characters were capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, playing as Arlo, was using like distraction magics and yep. stuff like that. Zenus was punching stuff. Yeah. And I was sneaking. And it worked? Yep. We wiped out the goblins and we went back and reported. We were like, well, we did it. We got rid of all the goblins. And they were like, oh, that wasn't the problem. Yeah, they were, just, they were just a separate problem for the logging camp. So we also discovered more into our characters about our investigative abilities. We were able to pick up a trail that seemed kind of odd that led off to a cave. Yep. We dispatched some spiders while we were and in because there. Because the reason the, we're, the, this is, we're shaping up to have quite a long recap, yeah. um, but it's, I, I'm interested in this stuff. I made it, I guess, which would mean I'm interested in it. But the re, the main occurrences was that people, logging workers, were disappearing. Yeah, but they were also reappearing and acting strangely. Yeah, they would disappear, reappear, and act strangely, strangely then disappear for good. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that's the investigation. Sorry. We found some drag marks that led back to this cave mm-hmm. where the most recent victim apparently had gone. Yep. And we got in there and we found a couple spiders. Yes. And we were able to dispatch them. and yep. Barely. Yeah. Yeah, Jack is the only one that would have survived yeah. that encounter. Two of them got paralyzed. Arlo and, and Grim got paralyzed. We found what appeared to be like a little camp thing. There was some like personal belongings of a lot of the people who died. Mm-hmm. There was a 
dead body, and I believe, if I remember correctly, there was a half-dead one. There's a li- Yeah, a person spoke to you in there. Yeah. I don't remember what the conversation was. I the think conversation, was like, he explained... They stole my face or whatever. Yeah, he ex- he was confused and stuff, but he explained that, like, you know, they stole my face, they stole my identity or whatever, and left me here and stole my stuff. And So we found out that the creatures causing this issue were actually changelings. Mm-hmm. Doppelgangers. Doppelgangers. I think is what they call them in D&D. Well, there's changelings and there's, doppelgangers. You're, okay. These were then... Spe- so if we're going to get specific, I use doppelgangers for these. Okay. So we found doppel- We found they were doppelgangers. And uh, when we had originally gone through the middle of the cave, we encountered four spiders, but two of them crawled away. And we didn't have to fight them. We were like, yay. So they're gone. And then as we were leaving, we asked, uh, what do they look like now? He said, last thing I saw them turn into was a couple of spiders. Mm, yeah. So we realized, oh, poop, that must have been them. Missed them. So we I ran to the camp and grabbed an antidote and brought it back. Yeah, and they, yeah. And it took so long to get the antidote, they were waking up as I brought it back to them. Right. So then we went into town and... Oof. I do want to. I do want to point out one thing else. That was, one other thing that was in that cave. I won't call oh, it important, yeah. but I will call it connected to thing. I mean, you don't even you don't know how it's necessarily I connected. Totally, I totally tuned that out because I have no idea what that is. Yeah. So underneath in in the cave, there's a trap door in the top of it. So the cave is like completely round on the bottom. There's a trap door in the top. They went down in the trap door, and it was like they went in and there were two beings that were not any sort of race that they had ever seen before. Um, they had like two arms and they were really tall and they were wearing some armor or four arms. They had four arms, they were really tall and they had like weapons that were kind of kind of familiar. They were like hammers but they didn't look like hammers that you would normally see. Um, there was a note uh, that ex- had like names that they had never heard of and like explained that they were they had the mirror. They were looking for a mirror or whatever. Either um, Grim or Jack still has that note. I think I have. Yeah. Um, I also have a manifest of like inventory. Shoot, was that? Did, was there a name on that note? I think so. I'd have Originally, to I think it was Simon. Was I don't it? think we discussed it. It was supposed to be that same, the same um, Simon Simon treasure tracker. I think is the one who left the note there. I think is what I meant for it to be, but it doesn't really matter. Um, anyway, there was a, they were looking for something in this, or there there was a note that said we hid the mirror because the original note said like we dropped this mirror and then like now we're in this other place uh, and they hid it down in the bottom of this tower. So essentially, there's just this tower inside the earth. There's yeah. this tower that just appeared underneath the ground, uh, and they Grim took a hammer from that from them. But other than that, that they we still don't know why that Wish was there. Kept that hammer. Yeah. Ended up selling it. Yeah, so yeah, I don't want to derail this with stuff like that too much, but it was something that's interesting that maybe there's there might even be enough pieces by now to kind of piece together what maybe put might have put that there, um, but went back to town. Um, yeah, we went back to town and we investigated. I'm saying investigated a lot. Okay. We questioned um, some of the people whose husbands had been taken by these creatures. And we talked to them, like, yeah, they were acting weird. Yeah, they all liked to gamble at this place. Mm-hmm. So we got the 
Is that did we get it? Did we get the password from these people or? I don't remember. I think you got the password from the kit from the guy in the. I think the guy told you in the cave that they gamble. I don't yeah. think. Yeah, I don't think the wives knew about the gambling, and I think right. he's the one who gave you the password to get in. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So then we went short. to the yeah, the casino. Yeah, it was something to do with a tree. It was like the maple or something. What was it? Like the malted maple. Or... No, the malted maple. <laughs> oh man, it'll come to us. Isn't yeah. it important? The name of that, the name of the casino, isn't important. So then we gave the password to the bartender, which was we haven't the coin, but we've got the gumption. Yeah. And Zenus was did not want to say that for some reason, so yeah. he was very unhappy with having to say that. And we went to the back wall, and he was like, we'll "Go on through." And we were like, going through where? <laughs> and we just ended up walking straight through the brick wall because it was an illusion. Mm-hmm. And there's a casino behind the inn. Still to date, one of my favorite experiences yeah. <laughs> for the campaign. Um, so we got in there, and that is where we met our companion, Burb. Yeah. I won him in a game of poker. Yep. And he was a slave, a kinku slave. I was like, yeah, I'm all about freeing a slave, but I don't really want a kinku slave, so I just kind of gave him to Josh to deal with because he's the animal guy. And uh, while we were there, we were on the lookout for people. We were told that the doppelgangers act very childishly, so we had to look for people who were acting childish. And... One of them was one of the, I think it was a female. She was gambling on the frog match. And yeah, like, there was a frog race yeah, gamble thing. She lost and she like started freaking out and yelling and stuff like that. So she was kind of marked as a target. Mm-hmm. And then Zenus actually fat, fat fought yeah. the other one. Yeah, because there's a so yeah. inside the thing there Freudian was like slip there. in the in the middle of the room there were several card tables. Yeah, on the like right side there was a frog race. On the left side there was a boxing ring for yeah. gambling. So Zenus fought this other one named Fatty, right? Yeah, that he fought funny. his way up to the to the the champion in the boxing match, and yeah, his name was Fatty. He was just big old fat man. He cheated, and Jack lost a lot of money because he bet on Fatty. Because he knew he was going to lose. <laughs> and then Josh helped him out. And I've had that same amount of money that I won from the first match yeah. this whole time. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. The economy yeah. might be a little ga- jacked up in our game. Yeah. This isn't like video game quests where you get to the end and they're like, here's your reward. Yeah. Um. So we eventually were able to get them all to go outside and we murdered them in the courtyard. Uh, yeah, so the way you got them to go outside is, like, you grabbed one. Like, you were like, hey, we're, we found you, or whatever. Yeah. And when you did, like, they ran outside, and which yeah. was my way of saying, hey, maybe we trying to get them to where this fight didn't take place in the middle of a casino with all these different people. Like, this is the beginning, so and in this courtyard. And Fatty followed us out yeah. after he had kind of recuperated from his fight. Mm-hmm. And then they turned into doppelgangers. And then you guys killed him. Yeah. We reported back to Corgus. Yep. And he said, good job. You passed the test, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you're now uh, you're uh, in the Lonesome Investigative Department. 
And sure. is this the point where he inducted us? I think so. I think the and the reason that he's okay with so yes, it's revealed at this point that Corgus Bach is actually a high up in the Servants of the Scale. He reveals that there is an organization called the Servants of the Scale that's trying to right the balance that's been wronged by the High Council. And the reason that he's okay with that is because the lady who runs the casino, her her pseudonym is Betty because she runs a casino. Uh, that's not her real name, but the party has not learned it. Um, she witnessed your your prowess. She witnessed the way you handled yourselves in this situation. Hiding behind and, the fountain. And yeah, and she was impressed. Uh, so she said, "These might be. They seem to be good for." We need people like this for our organization because she was also a servant. She's also a servant of the scale, uh, and so she told Corgus. Corgus inducted you. He gave you he, on your lonesome investigative department badges. He gave you the insignia of the service of the scale, um, and you know Burb comes with you and everything. And then he says, oh, yeah. "Forget about that." Now that you are a servant of the scale, or no? So he doesn't give you the symbol there. That's the test. So, first of all, you're, you, that was your first case. He says, this is an organization called the Servants of the Scale. I th- We think we can trust you, but we need to know for sure. We need you to do something to prove yourself. Definitely shouldn't have given us those badges after what we did. Yeah. You, you, you guys had a big goof up. Yeah. <laughs> Which really drove, honestly, was a big driving force behind the rest of the campaign. Like, I didn't necessarily plan for you to do one thing or the other in that situation so bryce again i've drank and i've drunk so much water why don't you tell just you know prime them with uh the the listeners with what happened next and i'll be right back real quick we were being chased through the streets was that that's after okay after that's the, what i thought after the events of i the didn't th- i didn't think anything happened with the law coming from the casino no, yeah. You were good to go with the casino. All right. I'll continue explaining. Yes, so, Corgus tells us that a family who is very important to the servants of the scale has gone missing. They were... Keith will tell you the name of them. I've kind of forgotten it at this point. It's the... I don't know. Anyway, they were supposed to be coming to Lonesome, but they disappeared somewhere along the way. And he believes that the constable has something to do with their going missing. So we go to uh, Ronald Witherbranch's estate and we sneak into this party that's going on that he has. And when we get in there, we manage to make our way down to the basement and we find that there's a bunch of cages and stuff filled with animals like magic creatures and rare beasts and things like that because Ronald Witherbranch has a thing for eating like exotic animals and having exotic pets and things like that and he's he's big into hunting but in one of the cages there wasn't a beast rather a small family whose last name is Fullheart Fullheart the Fullheart family yeah and we set them free and we were like, all right, let's get out of here. And Zenus Grimm goes to shake the hand of the little girl. And as soon as they touch hands, they have like this weird moment. And the whole family disappears into the eye of the little girl's teddy bear. Yeah, so the weird moment to describe it. So Grimm touches this little girl's hand like both like her eyes go completely white and his go completely black. 
and like for a very brief second, um, they like, you know, are the two of them are caught up in this swirling gray. I picture it the same way in Guardians of the Galaxy One, where Peter Quill grabs the Infinity Stone and everything begins to swirl, like all that smoke and stuff. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that. It's like a gray swirling. Uh, kind of smoke around them where you can just see everywhere in all directions yet nowhere at the same time and there's like kind of blue lightning and stuff flashing around them as they like lock hands for a second um, and then Grimm undergoes his transformation his like uh, necrotic shroud thing like he gains these wings and stuff that make him look all scary for his race um, so he gains that ability but it just it reveals that there's something goofy going on with them that's kind of the same and this black substance that was in the teddy bear's eyes correct and on his yes necktie yeah he pin. wears a tie and he has a necktie pin that uh, has a black stone in it just an obsidian stone and yes the teddy bear's eyes are also made of the same obsidian stone and exactly as bryce said after that happened um what yeah so what you guys saw was they um, what Jack and Arlo saw it was immediately essentially they touched hands something weird happened then yeah, they we disappeared didn't, we didn't see that otherworldly yeah yeah. that was just a Grimm and, and Justine thing <clears throat> and Grimm saw her like slowly take her hand out of his hand and turn and walk to her family and like grab them and then they <laughs> all sucked into the teddy bear's eyes and disappeared and then the teddy bear sucked itself into its own eyes yeah um, then they were alone <laughs> so from there did you tell him about the um, the rock from the desk, or no, have you gotten I'm, there yet? I thought that was I thought that came after. That might be on the way out. I think it is because that's yeah. I I ran through there to get out. Yeah. So we go out of this room, and as we're leaving, we run into none other than Ronald Witherbranch, mm-hmm. and he's all Big Daddy LaBeouf from. Princess and the Frog yeah, sounding. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, that's what I picture him looking like, too. Sure, sure. <laughs> and he says, well, now that you've seen what I got down here, I can't let y'all leave, can I? And we begin to have combat. Yes. Which... Um, probably one of our most hiccup-filled combat encounters thus far. Oh, yeah. Got with the with the basement door and the... two staircases in there. And the spatial area. And everybody said the staircase, no matter which one they were going up. So Keith was totally confused. Yeah. Josh was totally confused. Yeah, that was one of our first... I got it totally right by accident. Yeah. Because I didn't realize there was a second staircase. Yeah. Ex- exas... I, I frequently get exasperated. One... A quick way to... I just... I get... I get bothered. I'm not mm. angry. It's just like, it's because we're recording a show and you want it to be smooth. And so when it's not smooth, it's like, oh man, that's frustrating. And then like, I just don't like feeling like I'm trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to make a good show. And so I don't, I get defensive over that. And that's my problem. And Keith is filled with this roiling nervous energy. Yeah. <laughs> every time something goes a little bit wrong, it consumes his entire body. Yeah. <laughs> I get sucked into the gray world. Now there was something I forgot. Okay. Going into the estate, I now Zenus and Arlo actually snuck in via what word should I use here? They they portrayed themselves as actual party goers, and Zenus Arlo well, went in as yeah, frog. That's what I'm I'm getting there. Okay, gotcha. So Zenus uh, wanted to sell his giant pet frog, which <laughs> is what Arlo was, 
but yeah. he didn't want to sell it for money. He wanted to sell it for an invitation to this party. So Ronald Witherbranch was like, sure, come on in. I love I, big animals. <laughs> I'll, ta- I'll take that frog off your hands. Um, the frog had a funny name. I can't remember it this time. Um, it was like Mr. Something. <laughs> Why can't we remember any of this? Because it was like a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. oh, something Froggins. Yeah, Walter Walt- Froggins. Walter Froggins, <laughs> yeah. So Walter Froggins went with his stable boy, and they put him in the stable, and it's actually an elevator that took him down to that same room where the full hearts were. Um, I snuck in via sneaking. I did. found a symbol on the outside of the wall where it was like... Uh, and that's the last time you yeah. used your Thieves Can't skill. <laughs> yeah, the, the Thieves Can't uh, skill showed me a symbol that said, hey, this is a good place to climb up this wall. And I looked and I was like, oh, yeah, it is. There's Do you some good think foothold. I had that there before you asked? No. Absolutely, you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got over the wall. Me and Burb actually both went over the wall. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of coin throwing at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like. Very video game. Yeah. So I'd sneak around a corner, see a guard throw a coin. Guard would go investigate said coin. I'd sneak yeah. into Bryce, the door. Bryce was playing Dishonored yeah. for a minute. So I got in there. I really want to play that game. I've never actually played it. You should it. play it. You'd like it. Um. So I got in there, and there's two staircases again. One goes down, one goes up. I went up to begin with, and I found Ronald Witherbranch's room, and there was a special staff in there, and it looked very much like Arlo's hat in lots of ways as far as the style goes. So I was like, huh, maybe this is that Briar dude staff. So I took it, and I gave it to Arlo. Uh, and it turned out that was indeed Briar's staff. I'm actually planning to recreate that staff in a real life version. Sure. So Price look forward to that. that. We also have a cleaver that we still yeah, we'd Jack's love to cleaver. give away if you guys would sub- subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and hang out on this podcast. Jack's cleaver. I made a real life version of it. It's very sharp. It's a, it's an actual meat it's cleaver. Very it's very cool. It's not it's not a prop. It's an actual meat cleaver, mm-hmm. but it's just what I pictured Jack's cleaver looking like. Um so yeah, combat ensues downstairs, mm-hmm. and we all run upstairs to leave. After, and, yeah, a lot of difficulty. Yeah. So Ronald Witherbranch, I guess he was kind of losing a little bit, not entirely. He, he, he was, was he was on the ropes. He was on the ropes, and one thing about Dungeon Boys is when it counts for enemies, they just goof. Yeah. Like, when it counts, they will roll so poorly, like... He may may be the biggest baddest enemy that I've ever given them, and like it'll be like Nat One City, yeah. And they're just the party just looks like they got just got big old wieners <laughs> just flying around like can't be touched. Testicles like water. Yeah. <laughs> so Ronald Witherbranch runs out of this basement area and into the manor through the staircase towards the back of the room that leads to his office. Yeah. Secretly. And, yeah. So there was actually a whole other like there was this big metal box that we never were able to open. It was I, like I can tell you what that is. It's not story related. It, I'm I picture it being like walk-in freezer sized big metal box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you already told us it was like a room where he had like conferences and stuff. Yeah, that, it was a room with that when like high officials would come and like they'd have meetings and stuff. It like negates all magic and you can't surveil in there. It's just yeah. a cool magic box that they go in for meetings. So they all run up the stairs after Ronald into the party area. Mm-hmm. And Arlo, maybe both Arlo and I, 
Uh, no, I told Arlo about the book that was in his room, and Arlo goes up through the room and steals his book that yeah. was about animals, because he's a druid, he wants to study all the animals that he mm-hmm. can possibly turn into. Zenus and I follow, or Grimm and I follow, uh, Ronald through his office, and Grimm continues out of the office, uh, in pursuit of Ronald through the party. I stay behind in his office, and I see... A strange black rock, which reminds me a lot of some teddy bear eyes I had recently seen eat mm-hmm. people. So I took it and put it in my little bag and continued out into the party where I found uh, Grimm's dad. Bruner. Bruner Baker. And we're standing there watching his son beat in the skull of yeah. a councilman's brother. Not just... Not just- beat him to death but like push his fist i believe through the man's face yeah or his chest one or the other yeah, something something gruesome yeah dissolving him with necrotic powers too he, he was transformed at this point as well yes he was a big scary like bat creature so while speaking to bruner baker he says is that my son mm-hmm. and i said yes sir and he said i didn't think they went through with it or something like that yeah but I think he was talking about the little girl more than he was talking about Grimm. I don't. I'm not entirely certain how all that works. Yeah. Because um, did you, you tell wanna... him? Did you tell him what happened downstairs? Yeah, I told him about the little girl and all and that. Yeah, he knows a little bit about the nature of her. Yeah. Um. But he didn't explain any further than that. No. And a lot of stuff happened at this point. Josh was a spider on the outside of the building. Yeah, we don't have to go into all of that. So, long story short, we've killed the constable, we've freed the family, we've done our job, and we've done poorly. Yeah, you've you've killed essentially the governor of an island. (laughs) Yeah, so Josh transforms into a horse, and we all get on him. And gallop away. ride through the streets, avoiding guards and things like that. We pick up Burb on the way out, because Burb was... Just absolutely amazing while I was sneaking into the party. Yeah, it was hu- it was humorous because you snuck in with Burb, and then yeah. Burb ran out yeah. at a certain point. And so Burb wasn't a part of the situation in the manor with the fight. No. Burb was waiting outside, and we always make jokes about what he was doing. Yeah. Because whenever um, he could walk back up to you and you guys were figuring out right before you ran off, he had... Uh, Josh asked Burb, like, you know, what have you been doing or whatever. And he was, like, walking away from a bunch of kids that were, like, praising him and, like, cheering his name Yes, and because stuff. when Josh asked, I rolled the, uh, uh, I rolled a D20 to see how he had done, mm. to see what, you know, what kind of stuff had happened to him. I rolled a nat 20. Good things happened to him. He had a that's, big old sack of gold. That's when a big old sack of gold appeared on his waist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, and a new cloak or something like that too. We, you guys were with him when he bought the new cloak. He stole one from somewhere. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. Or he tried to, and then we ended up buying him, <clears throat> yeah. buying him one. God, we don't talk throat. about it, but can, but Bird wears a white cloak. Yeah, I picture him looking like like Moon Knight from Marvel. I don't know. Most people don't know who that is. I don't. I'll show you a picture. Well, of him he later. looks like Ezio Auditore. That'll from work. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. Um. So yeah, we gallop back to. The Lonesome Investigative Department's headquarters to what is also the Servants of the Scale mm-hmm. branch's headquarters there in Lonesome. And we talk to Corgus, and he's like, Well, 
y'all effed up, yeah. but you did it right. Yeah. You effed up goodly. Well, yeah, it's essentially I think his motivation is you royally, you know, screwed up, but you were it seemed like you did what we wanted you to do. Like you were yeah. trying to be trustworthy. You just failed. And we explained that yeah, the full hearts were there. Uh they disappeared into a teddy bear. He was like, okay, and then he takes out, he takes our badges from us, and we're like, oh no, we're getting our badges taken, and he puts them under his desk, and he like stomps on a little thing that brings down a little hammer that puts a new mark on it, and it's the mark of the servants, the scale, Mm -hmm. and he gives them back to us, and he's like, well there, now if you ever come across them, and anybody else with this mark, you know that they're one of us, and you can prove that you are also one of us. But he tells us we got to get out of town. Yeah. So you, you kill a high-ranking official who just yeah. happens to be the brother of a very powerful wizard on the High Council. Yeah. So Arlo and Grimm take to the rooftops and run straight towards the port. Jack removes his hat and mask since nobody knows what he looks like anyway mm-hmm. and just walks there. But as he starts to get into the slums and he starts smelling all these weird smells and stuff, he like gets kind of sick and he puts the mask back on. And they have reached the gate to this big bridge. Yes, that... and so the the way the the island they're on, it's kind of like Cliffs of Dover style. Like it's an island, but there's no beach. It's just like really tall cliffs all mm. the way around. Um, so the only way off the island, uh, there might be a few like little... I said port earlier. I meant to just say bridge. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, there might be a few little like private docks that you have to climb down a mountain on the other side of the island from, but the only way to get down this get out, get off the to the mainland this way is to cross the Great Bridge. And there was a bustle of people outside that gate because mm-hmm. the gates were closed. Yes, the gates were locked down. They found out that Ronald Witherbranch had been killed, and they weren't letting anybody out. So they didn't want to let the murderers out. Exactly, and then. Chaos, total chaos. This is yeah, yeah. This is one of the situations where like all hell does break loose a little. This was probably one of my favorite combat encounters ever, though. Mine too. So I'm probably gonna get a little bit into this one. So to first start off, we managed to squeeze our way through to almost the front, and Arlo cast a fog cloud on everybody, so there's even more confusion. Nobody knows what's going on. And we start shouting for everybody to just push forward, try and push those gates open. They can't, yeah. Area 51 style, they can't stop us all. <laughs> yeah. And while that's happening, Grim and I enter the towers on either side of this gate, the, the gate control towers. Mm-hmm. And he gets to the top and he finds like these orcs and throws them off the tower and jumps down and stomps on them. And he intentionally does not open the gate because he doesn't want all these people to die when they go through. Right. But I figured most of the orcs were going to be dead by the time the people got through anyway. So I just opened the gate and let them through. Not originally, right? Because there's some things that happened that cracked the gate. Yeah, the gate was being pushed open. Yeah. And uh, one of the orcs, as they were shooting down towards me while I was still on the ground, he hit a horse, and the horse carriage actually ran me over and ran into the gate. Yeah. And that really got it started. Mm-hmm. And then people were starting to squeeze through a little crack in the gate. Yeah. And Arlo managed to squeeze through the crack as well. And he was on the other side with Burb. Yep. And mm-hmm. this was one of those instances we totally forgot about Burb. He was just kind of over there 
Yeah, we didn't do anything with bourbon then, no, did we? Not at all. We, well, I think we cannot canonized it that like if we don't mention Burb, he's just like stuck to one of you like glue, just yeah. like you know. <clears throat> Usually Arlo, because Arlo's yeah. kind of like his, his, his main dude. So I went up into the tower, and as I was climbing up the ladder through the trap door, I got stabbed with a spear. Yeah. So I like moved the spear out of the way and continued into the tower, and then he stabbed me again. Yeah. So this time I took the spear out of his hands and just threw it into the water <laughs> behind me. And I think I ended up pushing him off the tower as well. And also it was like 200 feet down to the water, yeah. it should be known. There's yeah, I threw way. him into the water. Yeah. So then I pull Maybe. the lever that opens the gate. There's three lever, three levers and two gates, so I don't know what the yeah, situation yeah, yeah. Was. There was. But I pulled one lever, it didn't do anything, so I pushed the other lever up. And it did open one side I of the I do not gates. remember what I was thinking with those levers. It was supposed uh, to be kind of like a puzzle thing. Like, I had to gotcha. figure it out, I assume. And as soon as the gates open, I jumped off the tower just like Grim did. But instead of onto a person, I jumped onto a horse, yeah. which was attached to a cart. And Ooh, yeah, yeah. as we rode through, we snatched up Arlo. And Burb was on the back of the cart because Grim missed yeah. his chance to get on the horse. He missed his chance to get grabbed by Arlo, and Burb was hanging out the back, and he yeah. was like, come on, Grim. Yeah. And then he was able to pull Grim in the last little yeah. bit. It should be noted that Burb's way of communication, he yeah. kind of has his own voice now. I haven't done an exceptional job at, at talking through that transition, but at the beginning, he could only he could only mimic Come things on, he heard. Yeah. He could only admit, and the first thing he ever heard was "Come on, friend." So he says that from a lot Arlo. from Arlo. Um, but now he's kind of developed his own little voice. He's heard he's heard enough words where he kind of makes his own little voice. Yeah, he speaks very laconically, like verb want, verb do. Yeah, not like stuff like that. But he does kind of have his own voice now. So Burb is one of our favorite characters. He's like. One of the main things that makes this campaign great. There's a meme on D, like D and D memes, where it seems like it's just very common to have. The meme is like you know you go into a the party goes into a bar and the DM has prepared like all these characters, but he just offhand mentions like oh yeah there's probably there's like a goblin at that table or whatever and the party's like I want to talk to that goblin yeah and the DM's like I don't know who that is like what's his name and he, he, the, the, his name's always like. He's bobbling the goblin or whatever, <laughs> and so now there, you know, there are memes about like, you know, the party's face whenever they'll do anything to protect Boblin the goblin, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. So, Burb is your Boblin the goblin. Yeah, which his name is equally quickly made yeah. up. <laughs> Burb. Burb. I, he's act- a bird. I actually named him before the before we really? played. Yeah. Okay. I do like. There was a lot of Burb memes at the time as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we go galloping across this giant bridge. Several miles long. Yeah. And we were the first ones out. Most of the orcs are dead, and there's so much confusion with all the people trying to get across the bridge anyway, that we, we, we're able to speed out and nobody catches us. Yep. We get to the end of the bridge and we immediately cut off into the forest, make camp for a little while, and we even repaint the, uh cart because it was an orc army cart which is very generous of me to allow you to paint anything using like dyes from berries overnight <laughs> well now he is a druid and he's, he's experienced yeah it is very generous <laughs> so somehow we take it from what what is there theirs is blue right or did we you paint made it blue, blue so I think. yeah we made it just a blue cart and we took it to town which 
no carts were painted at this time except for the orc ones. So really, the fact that it was painted at all sure. probably gave people some idea of what it was. But you've crossed the bridge. You're now on the mainland. Yeah. You have been told to go to a town called... Fark. Fark. This town that you're headed to. And you've been told by Corgus to wait there for yeah. further orders. And this is Jack Law's hometown. Yep. Where his wife was killed and where his metery exists. Yep. Um, a lot goes on here. Yeah, a lot, lots and lots goes on here. So We can probably do it fairly quickly. Yeah. Start off with... We find out that there's a big, new, nice garden in the middle of town. Mm -hmm. And that is thanks to this fat dwarf druid who came through not long ago. I completely forgot about the... I was trying to remember the catalyst for the events of this this town. So we found out that this big, fat druid was none other than Arlo's main man, Briar. Yes. So we follow some clues, doing some more investigating to figure out what happened to Briar. We find out he's been taken by gnolls, because lots of people have been taken by gnolls. Because there's a big old stank going on between the gnoll uh, camps and the town itself. Gnolls are like stand, like very tall, stand-up hyena creatures yeah. that are intelligent, but not like... I kind of want to play a gnoll for Josh's campaign. That'd be pretty cool. Because you could get to do like a crazy man voice for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go in there and kill him. <laughs> yeah. And you get to laugh at everything, too, because mm-hmm. they're hyenas. Anyway. At least they look like it. Yeah. So we find out that there's all this stuff going on between the gnolls and the people of the town. And that all revolves around the death of some children that got blamed on the gnolls. And we don't know that it wasn't them, but we're not prepared to just assume that it was. So we do know that the gnolls captured Briar, and that is an inalienable fact so we go in and bust some gnolls up and get briar out of there yeah um we while we were there we discovered that they had a dormant treant there yeah that was slumbering and they were trying to use briar to wake him up so they could basically just raise the town with this yeah, powerful briar's a druid the gnolls knew that, so they kidnapped him. They're like, "Hey, you need to. We're gonna torture you until you wake this giant tree creature up, so that we can use it to destroy this town, because we don't like them." At some point, Zenus uses a, the torture collar to in that they got from Burb. Yeah, Burb was a slave who had the shock collar, so now Zenus uses it to torture people. Um, it's effective. Yeah. Ish. So we tortured this. Uh, Zenus tortured this Noel into giving us information about what's going on, and no matter what we did, he always said that it wasn't us, we didn't do it. So, felt kind of bad about that. Because he didn't just torture him. He ended the the, boy, the Noel's yeah, life he killed, by yeah. pressing his necrotic fist through his face. Again. Do a lot of face pressing with necrotic fists in this we do, campaign. We do. Um, so, we went back to town. And I, I gained control of his. Oh, it was that that Noel that he killed. He brought him back as a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, bones, and we gave him <laughs> a torch, and the gallows where this Noel was going to be executed in town. 
uh, he walked straight to it and set it on fire and nobody stopped him. But while all that confusion was going on, not very confusing because nobody was even paying attention. (laughs) Once it lit on fire, it was somewhat... During that distraction, Jack snuck into the mayor's house and found out that it was all a cover-up and that Ronald Witherbranch's hunting party had accidentally stirred up an owlbear that killed the children. But he didn't want people to know that that was the case because his brother was running for the council or whatever at the time, and he was running for constable, and he couldn't be in that kind of... I'm just while you're explaining this, I'm I feel bad for like feeling myself a little bit. But as you're explaining this story, I'm thinking like, you know, that's, that's not bad. That's some, <laughs> that's some good on the fly thinking because Keith did not plan that. Originally, no. Originally, yeah. I did not. Originally, it was the Knolls. Yeah. Originally, it wasn't a sanctioned attack by the Knolls. It was just like kind of like the doppelgangers, just some punk, you know, kid got caught on the wrong day. Knoll kid got caught on the wrong day and murdered him, but. Mm. I think Bryce made an offhand comment that, like, oh, I bet it's, like, something yeah, like this. Yeah, we were leaving or something, and the mayor was, like, freaking out because we were going to, like, investigate the place where the kids were killed or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, maybe the mayor has something to do with it. And Keith, the gears began <laughs> yeah, turning. Yeah, I remember, I remember the experience sitting at this very table, like, barely being able to focus on what yeah. you were doing because I was creating this story. There was a lot of silence because Keith was, like... Yeah. vigorously scribbling on a paper yeah but anyway i confronted the mayor and i told him that i could understand what was going on and that if we make things right then he doesn't have to die um but at that point the Knowles actually approached the outside of the city and they're like that tomorrow night, night if nobody brings us so and so we're going to burn the city to the ground or no, they just said tomorrow night we're going to so, burn the city to the ground. So the order of events, I think we got it a little mixed up. You go, got you guys go and save Briar. Yeah. You come back to town. Yeah. You get in a bit of a debrief. Hmm. That evening. Oh is yeah, they when, were camped out in the woods. That evening is when the Noel they come and they burn down two houses. Yeah. And they say like, if you don't bring us that fat druid back. By That's tomorrow, was, yeah. we're we're going to come in force, and we're going to do this to the whole town. The reason the mayor was upset for you take when you were leaving is because you guys were leaving to go investigate and try to figure things out. You were taking Briar with you, mm. and the mayor was very concerned you were taking him, and that's when Berg got shot on the way out with an yeah. arrow. Yeah. And so you guys were in the woods. You split up. You came back to investigate the mayor's house. The others went to the Knoll camp to talk to the Knolls, and Briar and Burb stayed behind. At some point, Grimm talked to the uh, Knoll that was in prison. Yes. Or maybe it was Arlo. One of them talked to the, the Knoll that was in prison. Mm-hmm. I think it was Grimm, because yep. I remember a whole thing about a key, and he like broke the desk to get the key and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm telling a lot of the story from Jack's point of view. Yeah, sorry. So... Yeah, we were able to figure out what was going on. We all met back up in the woods, and we explained the situation to one another. And we met up at where the kids were killed. And Jack, not Jack, Arlo and Grimm were able to get a message to one of the gnolls, and the gnoll came out and spoke with us. And we were able to discuss, hey, let's have a meeting between you, me, and the mayor in public with everybody watching and we'll discuss what happened. You referring to you as the main the leader knoll. You had planned yeah. on the the leader of the knoll is named Black 
Black Fang. Yeah. I kept wanting to call him Dark Fang for some reason. Black Fang. Yeah. So we agreed that uh, you may bring weapons, but you may not draw them unless you are prepared to have words with swords. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been a wonderful way to describe it. Yeah. So we went to the site of the recently burned down gallows and we said everything that had happened in front of everybody. And cue up the probably worst roleplay DMing ever on my part because I was playing like three characters at the same yeah. time and I couldn't remember that I was all of them. <laughs> Keith's just looking around like, what does he say to that? <laughs> oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> yeah. I would say something as the mayor and then I would like wait for a response. And then <laughs> Zenus would be over there like, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is also you, sir. <laughs> oh. So, how? yeah, um, we end up tying up the mayor, and we're going to give him to somebody. Are we going to give him to the gnolls, and that's when the orc we're, army we're gonna take. We're going to take him to the orc army. We're going to go, okay. like, we're walking out of town, and, like, you've done this. We're going to... Uh, drop you off at we're gonna essentially we're gonna call you ourselves we're gonna give you to the next yeah we see and they happen to be coming in at that time so that worked out well and that was another really cool combat yeah situation but it was more than a culling party that was coming these were people coming looking for you guys yeah the, the people we, who had killed Ronald Witherbranch yeah so this was a big orc party several fighters uh, goblin riders Mages. and huh yeah some orc orc <clears throat> warcasters. Yep. So we ended up Jack very nearly died that day. Also the sheriff, we haven't mentioned the sheriff, but you guys yeah, kind of I was going to get to him at the end cuz gotcha. that's where he became majorly important. Gotcha. Um did we leave him as acting mayor or did we leave Briar as acting mayor? Briar's the mayor. Briar's the mayor. But the sheriff was prepared to he was all about serving the town. Yep. He didn't care what the Knowles did. He didn't care what the mayor did. He just wanted to make sure that the town was safe, the people were safe. Yeah. So he was prepared to give y'all up. Yeah. And he, like yeah. Yeah. Say like, hey, they are the guys that killed Ronald Witherbranch. And they he did in fact do that. Yeah. And Jack heard him say that. And Black Fang also was not cool with this because Black Fang was your buddy now. Because yeah. Black Fang, he was like, well, these people were honorable to me. They, mm. you know. They killed some of my men, but also they tried to help me. Yeah, he was so, very Spartan about the whole situation. Like, yeah. these, these men are honorable in combat kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, made friends with him, and we started dismantling the orc patrol team. Not patrol. Uh, orc yeah. platoon, I suppose. And we're all... There's very few of them left, and we're all kind of on the ropes. We've run out of spells and things like that. And we hear some heavy footsteps. Yeah. And it was Briar. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> big fat Briar riding yeah. a big fat treant. No, it was Burb that was riding the treant. Briar, Ooh, Briar didn't come out there. Oh, Briar stayed behind? Yeah, Briar, I think, was still at the town. Okay, so yeah, Burb. Oh, yeah, Burb with a crossbow riding a treant. <laughs> yeah. Because it was nice because the first arrow he shot was a hit from the crossbow. Yeah, or from it was the, like a nat 20 or something, yeah. too. You know, I feel like maybe two or three sessions ago I gave Burb my crossbow. That was a long time ago I gave Burb that crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, Jack, during this confusion, runs off into the woods because he's dying and starts throwing knives from the trees. <laughs> yeah. 
I killed like two people like that though. Yeah. Um, we get to see Arlo's first use of like his animal summoning and stuff like that, and his yep. uh, first real use of wild shape in combat. Mm-hmm. As he sends condors after people who are attacking me, and he kills them, and I kill the goblin rider, and the treant starts throwing boulders at people. Yeah. So it it all ends up the orcs are demolished. Uh, the sheriff was knocked unconscious but not dead. Um, whatever happened to the mayor? I think we just left him there, tied up. You sent him to work. You sent him to the Knolls, I think. Oh, uh, did like, we? Yeah, he became a. He had to go work with the Knolls. Yeah. I think it was kind of like, well, that didn't work. Here, you take him. Yeah, I think it was something like that. Then we went back to town. Uh, kind of a no hard feelings thing with the sheriff. We understood that he was just trying to protect the town, mm-hmm. and we installed Briar as the mayor. If you want to look at it from a different perspective. We are the bad guys of the story. We're going through, we're shaking things up, we're killing council members, installing uh, people of power where we want them because they're our friends. And but they're also good people, it seems yeah. like. He was, but Robert seems like a good guy. Yeah, but we're, we're kind of anti-heroes, it seems like, at this point, though. Yeah. Because we're, while we are doing helpful things, we're also manipulating the social order in a way that benefits us. I would say it probably benefits more than just you. Yeah. If you, you that you've benefited both parties. Yeah. No That's more gnolls are dying. No more people are dying. You know that it's a positive. I think you're netting positivity wherever you go. Yeah. I think. So yeah, there's a lot that went on here. So then I, we go to. We probably the, ought to. I I very much we can talk about the details of some of the stuff we really enjoy, but we probably do need to gloss over some things because we yeah. are like just we are really taking our time. Okay, so all that aside, Briar's now the mayor, and we go to the what was thirsty it? Thirsty Thirge. The, yeah, the Thirsty Thirge. Um, Jack buys a book on wizarding because he wants to get some magic experience, and we meet Simon Simon there. Yep. And Simon Simon is carrying something that we need, and he will only give it to us if we help him with a small side quest. A key. Yeah. We didn't know that, though, did we? You knew you needed a key. Okay. Because we got a message from Mom and Dad, who were... Corgus and and Betty. Betty. Yeah. So we go, and we help him get this uh, artifact called the Mask of Many Faces, Mm -hmm. and we find it in a old, like abandoned amphitheater kind of thing Mm -hmm. and we find uh we go down into the depths of this well we put the big black stone that i found in this uh a little reservoir yeah like a bowl in front of it yeah and it kind of melts and turns to a liquid and then it drains down through the bowl and we hear a voice of what we learn later to be Garl Yes, you did. <laughs> you did hear a voice indeed. And Garl then pro- progresses to... proceeds to uh, display, like, some of our innermo- innermost turmoil in the form of, like, these plays on the stage, and we all just kind of watch in horror or fascination or whatever, yeah. depending on the situation. And Go see that... Go see that episode for what yeah. they look like. <laughs> it was it was a good episode, and then the back of the amphitheater opens up, 
and there's a staircase going deep underground. So we went down there, and we did some trials with some wardrobes and mm-hmm. fought some creatures from the world of make-believe. Yeah. And after all these trials were completed, Simon Simon received the mask of many faces. Yeah. And his face shrunk down to a miniature size. Because to briefly explain him, Simon Simon just was a tool of a guy. Yeah, he was he, a he was treasure a tracker. And he had slept with these people's mom and stole their tapestry that was like a family heirloom because mm-hmm. it was a map to this place and all kind of stuff. He's a bad guy. Yeah, and he didn't help you guys fight and none of that stuff. Nope. And so the his face shrinks down and he can't get enough oxygen through his tiny mouth and nose. And Garl is just very pleased with himself. Yeah. Because his tubes didn't work properly anymore. <laughs> and uh, so... The mask Garl, of miniature faces. So Garl then gives us the real mask of many faces with yes. with an A. Manifold faces. Yeah. So we now have... Well, Grimm now has this mask that lets him transform his face and four other people's faces into... Or their whole body into whoever they want yeah so now we leave there we take the key out of simon simon's hair which is where he was keeping it along mm-hmm. with a violin in his hair he, he had it somewhere you said the key was hidden in his hair the key was in his hair so we took that and we left and the key also looked like the same obsidian stone i did not know that i thought yep. it was just a key nope black hmm. okay. made out of the same stuff so then we continued going yep to strong water or is that the place where i think we it's get... strong water i think that's what it's called yeah that's the time. i know that's we went the... to a place called strong water but is that where we ended up or is that where we got on the boat that's where you got on the boat okay we went to strong water um just briefly we'll say on the way you picked up misiko on the way uh yeah we picked up misiko he was a merchant on a capsized cart mm-hmm. um we also fought a basilisk. You and did. took many scales from it and put them on our old cart, and we continued to Strongwater, bought some stuff in a shop, and got on a ship. I guess we should mention Misiko a little bit. Yeah. Misiko is like they, he seemed to be in distress. You guys saved him. He explained he was headed back to the Round Isle. That's where he lived. He was down on his luck. He was like a very snake-like looking hum- person, not human. Uh, he had like yellow skin, and his ears were very long, very ja- uh, jack and daxter like ratchet and clank like kind of in between he's tall like jack and daxter people yeah um so he was trying to get back to his family yeah yeah or so he says so he said and we we noticed some weird stuff about misiko through all this stuff but he seemed to still be working in our favor so it wasn't really much of a concern Mm -hmm. um so we continued on to the port and while we were on the ship burb actually goes missing and yeah so you got on sorry you got on the ship you're gonna cross to the round aisle yeah the round aisle that's where we're going so burb goes missing while we're on the ship yes and we spend this entire voyage trying to find him and we finally found him in the cup of the big figure on the front of the ship yeah the, yeah, the very end of your, waddle. what, like nine or ten episodes yeah. boat journey? So we found him, and at about the same time we found Burb, uh, God, there was so much happened here, too. So yeah. originally, yeah, 
we get down into the bottom of the ship where we're hiding because they don't know that there's more than two people on this boat because we all hid in the like canopy of our cart. Yeah, or more than the two of you. There's this is yeah. a passenger slash cargo ship. Yeah. So while we're there, we hear tell of a book that tells us where other artifacts of the gods are hidden. You hear of a magic map. Magic That's map. That's all you heard about. There's okay. The captain has a magic map. So we sneak in, try and find it, can't find it. So we leave a message for her slave, who obviously has a stink with her. So we want to try and get that map. Her so gnomish we, slave named Guh. Yeah, Guh. So we want to meet with Guh and see if he can explain where the map is. And we get to Guh, and all Guh can say is Guh. So we try all kinds of things, and he seems to start trying to say stuff, but then it just comes out guh. So we realize there's something stopping him, and we think it might be magical. So we use these magic locks that we had found earlier that would cause him, that they dispel magic. So we clamped him down with these magic locks, and the locks are actually overcome by the amount of magic that is stored in guh, and they begin to crumble and crack. So we take them off quickly, and Guh is like pointing to the book that we took from him, and he takes it, or we give it back to him, he takes it and starts whispering into it, like, I think they know. Yeah. And then the book flies open, and you hear Garl Glittergold's voice coming out of it, telling us, oh yeah, I enchanted the crap out of Guh, he can only <laughs> say Guh. <laughs> but it turns out this book is the map that we were looking for. Because Garl revealed to you when you got the Mask of Many Faces that the the gods, yeah. the, the other, his fellow gods also tend to make, had made some magical items and hidden them in places throughout the world. Yeah. And so that's what this map reveals is if you know where that, or if you know the existence of an item, like if you know that a Mask of Many Faces exists, it will appear in a general place on the map where it is located. So then, uh, Guh returns to the captain, and later that morning we discover Burb. He's like laid out on the ground. No, did we find him? Yeah, he ro- Yeah, he's laid out on the deck of the ship. Yeah, and everybody's gathered around trying to figure him out. And then Guh does something insignificant, and the captain starts like kicking him and beating him, and Guh's like Guh, kick, Guh, kick, Guh, kick, and then you hear. and Gah transforms into basically like the abomination from the Incredible Hulk movie and starts just tearing apart the ship and this is also where Pinkerton Toulouse comes from Pinkerton Toulouse was the ship's uh, uh, not captain uh, mess he might be now (laughs) yeah he was Uh, the chef mess sergeant yep so him and Jack became friends a little bit Mm -hmm. at this point Um, he was kind of a Justin Roiland character like i gotta we're cooking some potatoes yeah so gus starts tearing up the ship we're all trying to stop him except for arlo and burb are stealing all the books in the cabin the captain's cabin and misiko comes up out of nowhere and he's like i've prepared for this and we have a boat that i stole and it's now dragging behind the ship where no one can see it which was cool um so we all jump into the water and follow the rope back to the ship, except for Grim, who gets smacked into the ocean, and I dive in after him. Yeah. He kind of sort of didn't die. He gets smacked so hard that he does go unconscious when he hits the water. And drowns and dies. 
I enjoyed that fight because I'm just the idea of like a creature that's just he's too much for you. Yeah. Like you maybe you could have figured it out, but just the the terrain of the ship plus this his strength and just huge health pool. Like yeah. he's a tool of the god. Like he's a a toy that the gods made, and he's just just huge. And you know, just the idea of like just picking you guys up and being able to throw you off the boat or whatever. You know, I, I very rarely get the upper hand in combat with yeah. you guys. <laughs> Jack was doing pretty good, in yeah. my opinion. You were, you were. I got smeared across the deck one good time, but yeah. other than that, I was hitting him and avoiding hits pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, Burb lost his sword. We never mentioned the sword in this recap, but Burb had a sword that would scream whenever he unsheathed um, yeah. <laughs> it. And that was actually how we got into the party, because he ran through the whole party with his screaming sword out the yeah. door and flew a little like, gracefully like chicken flew over yeah. the wall <laughs> i picture yeah. it as one big flap and he just leaps <laughs> over um yeah so he just bounds over the wall and that's how i got inside um yeah so that sword is now gone uh the In boat the is bottom being, of the ocean yeah the boat is being torn apart guz going on a gu-sized rampage mm-hmm. and we all get into the boat oh we stole a treasure chest from you did the captain and we get Zenus and we load him into the lifeboat and we continue on to the round isle at sort of a distance from the giant ship that has the giant man on it destroying everything the giant gnome <laughs> yeah um we get there and you're gonna need to take this over. I, I forget the transition here. Okay, so uh, you guys oh, yeah, hop the in gate. the boat. Misiko, yeah, Misiko pilots your boat to the thing. Grim, Zenith has expressed suspicions about Misiko by this point, but Grim, yeah. not so much. Um, but also, Misiko, every time you ask him, like, hey, are you telling the truth? Uh, if he's not telling the truth and you, like, push him for it, he gives you a reason that everybody's kind of okay with. Um, Every insight check we've done on him has succeeded pretty much, and we all can tell that he's telling the truth, but he's hiding something. Yeah. Um, But you guys land uh, on the round aisle, and you walk up to the gate of the city of Buckland, which is where you were told to go. I was trying to remember that. After you got the key from um, Simon Simon Treasure Taker, Treasure Tracker, or whatever... Um, that's where you're told to go. And we run it's, into a nameless dwarf. <laughs> yeah, you run into, uh, you you roll up in the middle of kind of a conflict at the gate. There's a dwarf <laughs> on the wall, uh, who looks fed up with the cullings. He says, you guys came earlier this week or whatever. Well, I'm not letting you come back in here and call again. I don't care how far we are from the capital. Like, you can't just do what you want. You can't come back. You can't, you can come back at the agreed upon time, but you're not doubling down or whatever. And the there are some orc mages out there that said like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Uh, and the uh, dwarf who we realize who I accidentally named too early as Duncan, uh, you know, he he says, "Yeah, well, let's like let's rumble <laughs> or whatever." The orcs transform into they bite down on these pellets that turn them into elementals, mm-hmm. and so you guys kill two elementals in front of this gate. And take, Dun- a, take one of the tablets. And yeah, Arlo takes one of the tablets. Duncan narrowly survives. Steal <laughs> like he he takes it like out of his pocket. Yeah, he doesn't he, take it like he uses. Yes, yes, he he procures one of the tablets. Yeah, it's cold here. Um, you after you complete this fight, Duncan's like, hey, welcome to the city or whatever. 
uh, eventually it comes to the point where he's like, oh, we've been, you're the people we've been waiting on. You ought to, you need to go up to Full Hammer Mine to speak with, you know, Corinne and, um, and Albert. Yeah. Um, you need to go up there and, and they'll be able to put you to work or whatever. Um, so you guys do some shopping. You get some, you go and take your, uh, some of your basilisk skills and stuff to the stores uh, for like crafting and whatnot, but we won't go rehash the shopping trip. Um, so One thing that we do need to mention is yeah. Jack wanted to get his cleaver enchanted. And the enchanter, when he tried to enchant it, it like basically ate the enchantment he was right. trying to put on it. Nothing special happened to the knife, but like the knife, uh, I also gave him another knife that was already enchanted. It was a blood drinking knife. Mm. And I gave him both of them, like maybe he could dismantle one to power the other. But it, the cleaver was sitting next to it. It actually absorbed the other blade. Mm. It stole the enchantment the guy tried to put on it. And that kind of all goes to the whole, it's the hex blade and it's, yeah. it's consuming more power. Um, yes. So from there we go to, is it called the Full Hammer Mine? Mm-hmm. So we go to the Full Hammer Mine and it's run by the Full Hearts. Yes, and the location is there's a big like log cabin manor type thing. There's a mine and there's a bunch of cabins surround like off to the side where workers probably stay. And they want they are mining a special element called planium. Yes, which is basically what this whole campaign is based on, as far as I can tell. Kinda. And it is, it is like the most valuable thing in the world, and it kind of causes a rift between uh, our plane of existence and another or others. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's all or... Yeah, so it, it's kind of like a point where everything kind of gets closer together. All the different yeah. planes of existence can kind of almost touch at the point yep. of concentrated Albert, planar. Albert Fullhart, it kind of explains. So you guys walk in there with Misiko and stuff and and Misiko says, I'm just trying to get back to my home or whatever. And Albert says, oh, well, if you've helped these people get here, you're a friend of ours. We'll prepare you to do that. Go follow this friend of ours or this person, and he'll get you set up mm-hmm. with supplies. So Misiko is not in here for this conversation. Albert begins some exposition to explain, uh, yeah, what's going on. Servants of the scale, all this kind of stuff. He, he knows that the High Council is intentionally killing and producing all this discord in the universe to throw off the balance. Yeah. Uh, he they understand that the world is built on balance. They're doing all this evil and all this killing to throw that off. For what purposes? He's not sure. He has some ideas, but he doesn't get into them. But he wants. He knows they want to throw the balance of the of the the you know the world off, uh, and they're using you know their tactics to do it. And one thing that they're after is just planium. They want planium. Yeah. Uh, and this planium is exactly as you said. It is uh, kind of like a he's feels like maybe it's a common substance between the planes. It's something that allows the planes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to link. Yeah. Um, kind of like the Dark Tower in the Stephen King books. I do not know this, but I'll trust you. The Dark Tower exists in the same location in every uh, in like every universe. In the whole multiverse, if you mm-hmm. go to that location in that universe, the Dark Tower is there. It exists oh. in all universes simultaneously. Okay, cool. We will we will see how close that is in the future. Fair enough. Um, I don't want to explain too much. As there's yeah, there's a lot of yeah. reveals that will come with that. But that's essentially he's getting excited about it. He's trying to explain to you. So this is, and what we need you to do. Yeah. Well, his yeah. wife was like, "Honey, yeah, slow yourself down, take a breath." 
Yeah. What we need you to do is. Well, he tries to tell you one the next task you'll be on. Yeah. Or he's the next big thing. He's like, you just got here, but we really need to send you to the mainland again because there's this magical item. It's called Moradin's tiny orb. I think is what yeah. we called it, or what we he called it to you is that we need this to defend ourselves against the council. We think they're close to being able to know where we are and attack us. We need something to help defend us. He wanted to like shrink down their whole operation and move it somewhere else. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick style. style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not planned. Yeah, that was not planned, but yes, Patrick style indeed. But Corinne says, hey, honey bear, baby doll, Calm down, because we have bigger issues, especially because Duncan just killed all those people at the gate. There we have a smaller force that will likely be coming at us like within days. Yeah, we need you to go and harvest some teeth from, from some creatures called blinkses. And these creatures have lived in a bunch of planium-infused water, correct? And they've kind of evolved the, where the planium is actually part of their bodies, and now their bite. Can... I didn't. Yeah, I didn't explain to you what created these creatures. Okay. I will tell you that's not accurate, but I didn't explain to you what is. Okay. I thought that was kind of just what they were getting at, like they were gotcha. planium creatures, basically. No, yeah, they are. There's planium involved. Their teeth are. I'll just tell. I mean, it's not a big reveal. Their teeth are made of this stuff. You know. They're, that's what I thought. Yeah. But I'm just trying to tell you, the the origin of the planium is not the pool. Gotcha. And that will be more revealed later on, too. So anyway, these animals, creatures. So we, long story story short, we kill several of them, collect all their teeth, and we head back to the manor. And she's... Because she wants to make a bunch of arrows out of them so that any orcs that come in, it's just a one-shot, one vanish into another universe that nobody knows anything about. Because the power of the teeth is... Yes. I thought I said that already. I don't the... think we talked about it yet. Oh, Maybe. yeah. Um. Anyway, the bite of these creatures will send you to their home plane of existence, which is a world of water and blinkses yeah. and possibly other creatures, which is really, really cool and kind of creepy because you can imagine like giant sea creatures that live there that just like travel through time and the multiverse yeah um i've always liked the idea of creatures of the deep you know i have no idea what they are thalassophobia baby yeah um anyway so we go back to the full heart manor with all these teeth and we're going to go make some arrows but when we open the door everybody but jack smells some blood mm-hmm. and we enter to find a trident in the chest of Corinne Fullheart. Yeah, Corinne Fullheart as Misiko wields this trident because yeah. he has been tasked with murdering the family. And he's mostly succeeded. He was able to kill Albert. Albert was dead, cold. There was no there was no helping him. Big old nasty pool of blood he's in. Yeah. Corinne it may yet be help for him if Zenus figures it out. But. Yeah. Corinne was nearly dead. And uh, Misiko sees us and he's like, I'm sorry I had to do it. Uh, they said they'd let me go. And he bolts for it. He assumes she's going to die. She's been stabbed in the chest. These guys obviously can't do magic. They will bring her back to life. And jumps out the window and runs for it. Hmm. Uh, Arlo 
jumps out and in mid-jump turns into a giant eagle and flies off of the front porch of this log cabin house as a giant bald eagle. Very Captain America style. Mm -hmm. Like, if Captain America really had actual superpowers... That'd be one of them. His superpower would be jumping off front porches of log cabins as a giant bald eagle. Yep. So he... With an AR-15 strapped to his chest. Yeah. (laughs) So he swoops down and he's able to... Uh, kind of deal with uh, Misiko for a little bit yeah. while uh, Grim heals Corinne and I go out the back way to because I hear uh, Torque and Justine approaching Yeah, one important thing that we should mention is that Justine Torque came and went hunting blinkses with yeah. you and he said Justine has to come along because if oh, you yeah. get, because if you get bit by this blinks and you get blinked to this other plane, there's only one person that we know of in the world that can save you, and it's Justine. Because yeah. Justine can at will, it seems, go travel. And, go travel through the plane and come get you. So I'm guarding the other entrance to make sure door. that they don't come in and see this horrible scene. Yeah, of their brutally murdered parents. Well, one brutally murdered and the other brutally injured. Yeah. Grim heals her. <clears throat> heals Corinne and Arlo uh, loses uh, Misiko when Misiko vanishes in like a puff of fire mm-hmm. and at that point we see another puff of fire start forming from the ground up and standing there is none other than Donald Witherbranch yes. Ronald's brother and he is here to get some payback because we killed his little baby brother. Mm-hmm. And that was like, we upset his parents or something. And one thing I was trying to get across is that he cares less about the fact that you killed his baby brother and more about the fact that you killed his baby brother because his dead mother loved her a lot, loved him a lot. Yeah. Essentially, like, you know, if... What it, what that would have done to my mom is what's bothering me. Now, I, yeah. I mean, we didn't take the time to really explain that. There was a lot but, of combat going yeah, on. Yeah, in the, <clears throat> in the safe back at the manor, there's a picture of a fairly unwealthy couple with two little boys. Mm. Uh, and, like, there were a couple wedding rings in there, which I was trying to get across that, like, you know, Donald and Ronald came from less those. than. Yeah, and so... Yeah, Donald came essentially, and he came by himself. So it seems like he's on a revenge mission more than anything, like unsanctioned, unprepared to bring others to attack. My plan was to actually give Donald those rings whenever I encountered him, but it just didn't kind of, didn't really plan. I I wasn't planning to encounter him, obviously. And so combat ensues there. Um, I, I turn away Torque and Justine... Uh, Torque covers Justine's ears, so she didn't really hear what was happening. And I told Torque what was going on and that it was being dealt with. And he said, okay, uh, I'll take her. And he just kind of walks off. He doesn't really say anything. Yeah. So He's rather distraught. <laughs> I hear uh, combat, and I go out and I try and help. And there's a big epic battle. Uh, confusion arises. Well, nope, that didn't happen. Because we um, had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we had some trouble with a wall spell. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we got uh, Donald kind of on the ropes a little bit. Not really. He he could have probably beaten us or at least given us a lot more trouble than he did, but he was just overconfident. He was overconfident running on passion. Yeah. And 
even if he couldn't have beat us, he could have definitely left. Yeah. More than anything. But we were able to trap him because Arlo used that tablet of elemental transformation and he mm-hmm. became a water elemental and he consumed uh, Ronald, Donald, consumed Donald with a branch inside this big thing of yes. water and started drowning him. And whenever he fell unconscious, we were going to question him. But just before that happened, Grimm reached into the water and pulled him out and also pushed his necrotic fist through his head again. Killed him. Yeah. Killed him dead. Yeah. Overcome with rage. Yes. Powerful, lust-filled rage. Yeah. And then uh, Donald Witherbranch's skin kind of like seeps back into his bones or whatever, and there's just this metallic planium skeleton laying there. Yeah, oh, what actually... What I was trying to get across is that the only thing that you could see of him was not his bones, but his blood vessels hardened. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Sorry. I remember one of you said, like, oh, that looks, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Which I was like, mm, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I was yeah. thinking of the thing from uh, Bones. Yeah. The metal no, it's skeleton. not a big deal. I just... Yeah, anyway, somebody was like, well, I guess I'll do it. I'm going to touch it. And we touched the metal... Uh, vascular system yeah. and the whole world exploded the yeah, end. It, yeah it exploded into that cloud of gray dust and you know all of you are now swirling in what I've called like it almost feels like a world between worlds and yeah. you're swirling Limbo. and you can see you know far and nowhere and it feels like you exist yet don't exist all at the same time and that swirling gray smoke and blue lightning and you're all standing there together um, or whatever, and that stuff is just washing over you, and you guys hear two voices in the ether. The first is the voice of Garl Glittergold, which you recognize, and he's saying, like, You see, I, I, I told you they're getting far too close! Uh, and then another more confident voice you hear says, um, have, like, have some faith, Garl. It will correct itself. It was built to correct itself. And then that's where we ended the season. Ta-da! That didn't take as long as I thought it would. We turned we turned up we turned up the speed there halfway through. Yeah, we turned it up a lot though. Yeah, I think even if we had continued with our detailed explanations, it still wouldn't go on too long. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, it's a lot of fun to recap that. Yeah, it is a whole. Also, just one thing about D and D is like we're talking about these named characters. Like, I mean, there's probably twenty or thirty, or maybe twenty named characters. Thirty maybe so far. Like. Yep. You you three play one and I play the rest of them. Like there's four people creating, like it's just interesting. Like, we talk about them as if they're yeah. almost fully realized people. And there's like, some we didn't even go through. Like yeah. uh, the guy who made Poxy the uh, trident. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who we bought all our magic items. Krong, from. sorry, yeah. Krong is the. It's Krong strong. Yeah. <laughs> um. Fregis is your favorite magic item vendor. The only one so far. Yeah. Uh. We didn't go through uh, Hans Maytag. Yeah. We didn't go through, uh, what was it, another, The Enchanter. Yeah, right. All kind of stuff. All kind of stuff. Go back and listen to it. You, you really treat yourself. It's yeah. only 48 episodes and probably like 60 hours worth should've, of content. We should have just gone for 50. We totally could have made 50. Yeah, we could have. Um, but yeah, now a much more condensed recap. Uh, we had the basically it went in arcs. We had the lonesome arc 
which yep. consisted of us joining the lid, then yep. joining the SOS. the SOS, and in between those two things, we killed the constable, yep. the kind of martial governor of Lonesome. And then from there, we have the Fark arc, mm-hmm. where we save the town from the gnolls, and we save the gnolls from the town, and we killed a guy. Yeah. Then <laughs> and you have, you know, essentially, the we'll call it the Strongwater arc, which is traveling yeah, to get there. Kind of an interlude. Yeah. Strongwater, I guess that it extends to the boat as well. Yeah. Um, so, the arc arc. Yeah. Uh, so, we go from Strongwater to the boat. We find out that Garl has been been manipulating a couple things behind the scenes, and we get the magic book. Continue yep. to Buckland, which we'll call the Buckland arc unfinished. Yeah, and that is the season finale where all of this transpired. We've killed a council member and we've caused a big mix up in the universe. And we're waiting for the universal dust to settle back down into whatever form it will take now. Mm-hmm. And from that, we begin our one-off campaigns. Yep. Just a quick break uh, to give you a chance. Like It's hard for anybody to get into an already 48-episode-long long thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll give people a break, see if there's a place that you want to... Maybe we'll convince new people to come hang out with us, and then you'll want to jump in for Season 2. Bryce, I've truly enjoyed this. Can I... <clears throat> can... I don't know why my voice is cracking. Uh, can I give a little bit of information on my one-off? You can. Or? I'm going to go pee one more time, as hopefully we will wrap up shortly. All right. So Josh's campaign is going to come first. Uh, the guy who plays Arlo is going to be DMing a one-off campaign uh, based pretty early on in the story. Uh, it, will, it will not contain any of our actual characters. No Grim, no Arlo, no Jack. But... Keith will be playing as a character, and Zenus and I will be playing as new characters. Um, but that's not what I want to get into. I'm actually going to host the next one. I'll be DMing mine, which will take place right after the boat conflict. And it will consist of three unlikely survivors, that being Keith's character, whatever it may be, uh, Josh's character, and Zenus's character. They will wash ashore a small, unnamed island, along with their favorite character from this arc, Pinkerton Toulouse, the chef of the Winifred's Waddle ship. And I'm planning to make it sort of a Five Nights at Freddy's kind of thing, and they will have to survive the night and hopefully make it off the island by morning. Because the island is full of monsters. And that's really it. I don't want to get into it too much because Keith is going to play in that campaign. And I don't want him to be editing this and know everything that's going on. So I don't even know if you heard that. I guess you'll hear it during the recording or during yeah, the I didn't hear. editing. I didn't hear. You're going to be trapped on an island with Pinkerton Toulouse after washing up from this ship. Nice. And it's going to be like a Five Nights at Freddy's kind of thing. You okay. have to survive till morning and try and like flag down a ship. Awesome. But it, like you said, there's lots of magical monsters and stuff popping up since all of this chaos has been created and this is one epicenter where there's lots of magic monsters i'm a big fan yeah y'all probably be kind of higher level like seven at least nice probably probably seven were you gonna are you gonna let me play my um 
my barbarian yeah. that lives on the island. You can play whatever you want. As okay. Pinkerton Toulouse is going to be there. If you want to play him, we could like definitely orchestrate where we're. <laughs> yeah, he could transform into a barbarian if you want. You don't know what. <laughs> Maybe Pinkerton Toulouse is like a army veteran. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. Yeah, Br- over Br- waffles. Bryce, last thing. Um, can give me on a scale of one to ten your your assessment of the uh the campaign so far the first half i'd rate it an eight okay the second half i'd rate it like a nine because i really liked you you were getting more smooth with transitions and stuff like that um the first 10 episodes i would give it a seven yeah the the following rest of the first half that that's what i'd give an eight there were some good moments in the first 10 episodes but they yeah. were like it was choppy it was yeah. hard it was hard we to had get some started audio problems we were trying to do video and audio yeah um all kind of stuff we were just getting into the groove of it if yeah. you can if you can muster your way through those first 10 episodes i promise you you will love the rest of this um yeah. the following 20 episodes that ensued were great and then we kind of had our halfway point there before we got on the boat. And then the next 20 episodes, I think we were just absolutely locked in. We knew what we were yeah. doing. Promises for upcoming episodes. Better role play. Um, Keith will be one of the characters. Keith is great at RP. So he is going to definitely be pulling the party along. I will say some, it, it... In some RP. It tends to be my strong suit. When we play our regular game... I. I just try to, because that's what I find the most fun, so I do it the most. <laughs> Our irregular, regular game. Yeah, honestly. Um, yeah, so we had we should have three to four one-off campaigns, yep. and then we'll get back to your favorite Dungeon Boys. So gosh, it'll be probably about 12, 12 to 13 weeks before you see Dungeon Boys again, yeah. and I need it. I need a break from figuring it out, <laughs> honestly, and I'm, I'm ready to get fresh and figure out what, I mean, I know what happens next, generally I got plot points, but you know, to populate it and all. Just let us know, man. Leave us a leave us a review or a lady. Leave us a review. Uh Tank Media at or Twitter at Tank Media Games, YouTube.com slash Tank Media Games. Just let us know if you're out there listening. Let us know if you're out there enjoying this. If you've made it to the end of these two episodes, which I'm probably gonna split, um but maybe I won't. It, it'll make it one good big long episode and we'll just let it last two weeks or something. That'll work. Um <clears throat> but if you made it to the end of this, kudos. Just just let us know, man. Because if we split this into two episodes, the big cliffhanger is going to be you going to the bathroom. <laughs> right. Yeah, so just all I'm trying to say is if you're out there, we appreciate you for watching. If you're out there, spread the Dungeon Boys gospel um, and tell other people about it. And even if you don't watch it, we're going to keep making it because we, we are. love it. Yep, that's that's it. You can't well, stop really, us. We, we really want you to watch it. We do. We do. If this right here this what we've done what Bryce and I have done for the last three hours if I could get paid even half of what I get paid now to do regular work I would quit my job so fast they wouldn't know what happened <laughs> I've, so, I've enjoyed this a lot as well yeah me too we should we could do this just like a little talk show thing absolutely once a month we'll get there we can start a new show if you want, or we can throw it on Dungeon Boys. But we'll talk about that off camera. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're enjoying Dungeon Boys, let us know. If you love us, let us know. If you hate us, keep that to yourself. And we will see you in the next thing. Please remember that we love you very, very much. Duke's Barbecue.